0: Support for Boston Public Radio comes from Trinity Rep, celebrating 60 years with August Wilson's Fences, a Pulitzer Prize-winning drama returning to Trinity Rep's stage for the first time in 30 years, March 21st through April 28th. Tickets at trinityrep.com. And Brown University pre-college programs, where high school students experience college life, nurture their diverse interests, and make friends and memories that last a lifetime. You can apply online at precollege.brown.edu.
1: I'm Jim Bradley, ahead on Boston Public Radio, live from the Boston Public Library on the third anniversary of COVID. We'll check in with you. Lines are open just to see how much your life has changed. Then it's Dr. Katherine Gergen-Barnett here to discuss medical tourism. On the heels of the kidnapping and murders of Americans in Mexico, she'll also talk about money flooding in for new weight loss medication.
2: I'm Marjorie Egan. Michelle Obama is yet again dispelling rumors that she's running for president. Jim just won't let it go. <laughs> and the Girl Scouts have a new cookie, the Raspberry Rally, sold out and now getting an 800% markup on resale markets. We'll get full details with GPH's Callie Crossley. All that and more ahead, Boston Public Radio, 89.7 GBH. Mm. Boston Public Radio, 89.7 GBH. We are at the Boston Public Library, as we are every Friday, and we are streaming at facebook.com slash GBH News. Hi, Jim.
1: Hey there, Marjorie. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. So today marks three years since then-Governor Charlie Baker announced a state of emergency for COVID-19. It was one day before the World Health Organization declared a global pandemic an acknowledgment that the virus would change everything for everyone. Here's Governor Baker then. Today I'm declaring a state of emergency
3: in Massachusetts. This declaration will give our administration more flexibility to respond to this evolving outbreak. China and other countries that saw early outbreaks are making progress and pushing back against the disease. But it's only possible if everybody plays their part. And it's only possible the step-up mitigations happen now.
1: And he went on to say, in what was really haunting, non-essential businesses should close down. Employees should not go to work. You know, so much of that period was surreal in a way none of us had ever experienced. There was Trump with the bleach, power washing our groceries and yeah. takeout containers. was waking up at four in the morning, refreshing the state's COVID vaccine website. Padlocks on local parks. The idea that we'll all be over in weeks. And of course... 20,000 plus deaths in Massachusetts. More than a million in the United States. Nearly seven million families worldwide lost somebody they loved. Now, here we are, three years uh, after that day in 2020. Where were you then, and where are you now, and how are you changed as a result of these three years? The number to call or text is 877-301-8970. You only looked up this morning. What? You know, not that there was not a horrible political division uh, even before COVID, but mm-hmm. it was so much exacerbated because of the, the truly homicidal behavior of Donald Trump. Today, 75% of the Republicans in a Gallup poll say the COVID uh, issue is over. Only 28% of Democrats say it's over a 50% split. And I was thinking this morning as preparing for this, remember how we celebrated grocery workers uh, everybody oh, yeah. who had to go to work, that lasted for about a minute yeah. and a half. But you know what did last? Uh, I think the incredible courage and strength of Anthony Fauci as compared to Deborah Burks, who basically became a sycophant for Donald Trump and his... Sickness about and yeah. weakness around the, the. I mean, there uh, were so many disease.
2: moments when you think about like where you where you were. I mean, I remember going out. It's my youngest daughter's birthday today. Happy birthday, Caroline. Oh, happy birthday, Caroline! And Caroline. the night before her birthday, we went out to Myers and Chang you to did? have to have dinner, and uh, and then you know you realize that this disease is here and it's probably spreading, and you're thinking you're like packed in because that's a very popular restaurant, very close. And that was the last time we went out for dinner for like months and months and months, yeah. right? I'd say
1: more than months. We and were months all getting
2: takeout. I remember going that we you. you remember Remember the big deal about, as is, is you mentioned in the introduction, especially if you had elderly relatives who didn't really know how to operate the let's get on the uh, website and get the vaccine, you know, sign up for the vaccine, that people would be up until 2 and 3 in the morning, like refreshing their pages for their elderly parents who couldn't get it. Remember, did you go to Gillette to get a vaccine? I did indeed. Yeah, I went to Gillette to get a, to get a vaccine. That Remember who
1: solved the, well, that's actually, we should play the sound. Remember when Governor Baker, I was convinced he wasn't going to show up this yeah. day. Yeah. Baker was scheduled to be on our show in the studio the day that the website crashed, which was day one. And here's a little bit of some very memorable comments from Charlie Baker.
3: <sighs> My hair's on fire about the whole thing. I can't even begin to tell you how pissed off I am. And we know how important it is for people... Uh, to have it fixed and to be able to access all those new appointments that went up on it, people did a lot of work preparing for this, but clearly they didn't do enough.
1: And, I, you know, by the way, I really had he to compliment him for serious. showing up and the honesty. Yeah. And then, obviously, local Moderna, Pfizer, CIC, that ran a lot of the sites, they really yeah. did remarkable work. And Baker for the most part, did some pretty remarkable work, too.
2: And then we had the two mothers that were out on maternity leave that came up with the fix <laughs> for the WAC vaccine website. About how to get appointments. That made it easier for you to get an appointment. And then there was a the big debate. Do you laminate your vaccination card? Do you not laminate it? And then if you did laminate it, as I did, then when you had to get your third and fourth and fifth vaccine, they had to, like, uh, put it on your little card with little stickers at, at, at uh, CVS. I, of course, was convinced... Because I never had a reaction to any of the shots, and I, I was lucky I didn't get I had a you they weren't working. I thought, I, I is, is, is the nurse at Gillette, is she gave me a fake shot and then selling the real one out in the parking lot? That was very suspicious. You Jim. know, there's happened. so
1: much that uh, Trump did horribly that most, uh, not most, that so many people are willing to forgive. The thing that is never talked about is what I mentioned a minute ago. I think it is very hard to deny that of the 1.1 million people who died in this country, hundreds of thousands of them died because of the atrocious and careless way that Donald Trump dealt yeah. with this. And you never hear a word, you know?
2: Well, I always, I always thought, and, and this is not an original thought, many people have said this, but... Uh, being able to get those vaccines done so fast was a great triumph of Donald Trump's it presidency. Was the it was the triumph of his, of his presidency, it's something that he could have uh, talked about over and over again. I mean, no, at the beginning, I remember we, when we were talking about vaccines, people were saying three years, people were saying five years, mm-hmm. some people were saying even longer than that. And we had them, what, by the beginning of, was it 2021? I think I may get my years I don't remember wrong. The dates. But, but we had them. Then there were all the people that uh, I remember. But um, that he
1: wouldn't even say if he was vaccinated. Do you remember that? He would not say I mean, he was vaccinated. And he had an opportunity not only to inspire yep. people to get vaccinated, particularly the doubters, his supporters, yep. but also to celebrate, again, the one terrific thing he did, but he couldn't bring himself to do it.
2: Our number is 877 You can call us or text us that number to tell us... Uh, where you were when you realized that the, we were in big trouble? At which point, by the way, we thought we were in only big trouble for a couple of weeks. You know, and one of uh, the things you remember about about COVID, obviously, uh, you know, on the sad side, people did get very sick, people did lose their lives. I'm certainly not underestimating the terrible toll it's taken. Uh, but there were, it was just kind of a surreal moment for us all. We went hibernating in our house, and we thought it was only going to be for a short amount of time. The schools, the schools shutting down, that whole thing to get mm-hmm. the Chromebooks out, so the kids could do their Mm -hmm. work at home, all the stories in Boston about how uh, there there wasn't enough uh, connection, internet connections, people would be driving in their cars or going down to McDonald's to sit there with their Chromebooks for the kids to get their homework done. I remember there was one moment at the beginning in New York City, remember how badly New York City was hit, they were hit before Mm -hmm. us, right? They had that great uh, piece on PBS about Italy, because Italy was hit really badly at the beginning, and there was unbelievable uh, confusion about what how to treat COVID, what it was all about. Then you saw in New York City. Uh, uh, two of my kids live in New York and I, I think they are really still kind of traumatized from COVID because of the ambulances, the constant mm-hmm. ambulances and seeing those those morgues. I remember there was one point where my son uh, needed to do his laundry. And at the time, he lived in Harlem and he, trying, he didn't want to go to the laundromat because... You're nervous about being in the laundromat. So he's thinking, so he thinks he's going to go down to his sisters because she's going to wash her dry, And she lives in Brooklyn, which is about 45 minutes away. How do so get there? How do I get there? Do I take the tea? Do I, do I, or what do they call it in New York? It's just a subway in New York. He ended up taking an Uber. And he was nervous. And the Uber driver was nervous. He got three loads of laundry. And he ended up staying down there like for weeks because he didn't want to come back and sit alone. That was the other thing when you had to stay in your apartment. And if you were in your 20s, you know, when you were in some small apartment... You had you and two roommates all sitting together in the kitchen. Well, I would the- say
1: that was one hundredth the horror of someone being 80 instead of 20. Oh, my God. And living alone. Or being Horrible. in a nursing home or- where a husband or wife or a child, a grown child, had to be outside the window Attempting to talk to the loved one.
2: Art Kaplan lost his mother in a nursing home in in Massachusetts, and they would be holding up uh, uh, their hands to the glass in the pain in the nursing homes. I thought you were going to mention when you
1: mentioned New York. Also, one of the remarkable television moments was the juxtaposition of the irresponsibility of Trump and the alleged responsibility. You may not remember him, the governor of New York State. Oh,
2: my God.
1: Andrew Cuomo. We all thought he was going to be the next president of exactly. the United
2: States. Andrew Cuomo, we looked forward to his press conferences every day because they were so calm and reassuring, and he seemed to know everything. The thing I was going to mention, and I forget to mention, was a moment where uh, and the shift change at the hospital, and people would line up on the side of the streets to applaud The uh, nurses and the the physicians, as they came out in the the shift change, they'd be, you know, banging together pots and pans and stuff like that. Um, Sadly, I think for teachers and for nurses and for people in, in medical care, the pandemic has had a huge toll an exhaustion toll in a sense that... um,
1: We just talked the other day, one in four doctors mm -hmm. in this country say they're going to leave the profession within two years. What are there? 20,000 vacancies in the healthcare system in Massachusetts? You know, Donna, who's watching online, I don't know if she (laughs) tweeted or whatever, said, I was never so happy to be a shopaholic, had enough supplies and food for months, including... Toilet paper. Toilet Remember paper. Oh, the, the run
2: on toilet paper. That was unbelievable. Kevin from South Boston says, I knew COVID was going to be a huge deal when the South Boston St. Patrick's Day parade was called That's off right. in March of 2020. That is a great one, Kevin. I mean, because we didn't know at that time that outside was, was better than inside. I mean, it's so much confusion. Remember we come in every day to work and we'd be, uh, and John Park, John the Parker, would be helping us. We'd clean off the counters, to the desk. We'd clean up the microphones. Because we didn't
1: know how it was transmitted. No,
2: and we were thinking, am I far enough away? From, are we far enough away from each other so we won't infect each other? The ignorance, or not, I shouldn't say ignorance, but the we didn't know much about anything. Sarah, you know,
4: before we get to
1: the calls, yeah. one last thing. I want to give Biden credit. You know, after having described, and I, this was n- intentional, Donald Trump's behavior is homicidal. When Biden, in that inaugural week, did the tribute to the people who a million that people was died great. in this country, more than twenty thousand yep. in Massachusetts alone, and the fact that he did just that little thing that he did that recognized the pain that so many families suffered as a result of this nightmare, I thought was a really loving, important, and long overdue thing, and good for him for having done it eight seven seven three zero one eighty nine seventy three years. Since the emergency declarations of COVID, where were you then, literally and figuratively, and where are you now? Where do you want to go, Marjorie?
2: Let's go to uh, Sarah in
1: New
5: Hampshire. Thank you for calling, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi, guys. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, So, three years ago, my daughter was four at the time in preschool. In early February, my best friend and I were always talking about how scared we were of what was going on with this random virus. And we were just baffled that no one else was nervous about it and I actually went to the grocery store and stocked up on food for my family because I just had a feeling a lockdown was inevitable wow and so it was this week that I went to my daughter's teacher and said you know I think I'm going to keep her home I just don't think it's best for her to be at school right now can you tell me what her schedule is like so I can try and replicate it at home and her teacher said, you know, the best thing for her is to be at school. That's the best place mm-hmm. for a child to be. And I said, well, I, I'm i just going to keep with that right now. And then a few days later, the lockdown happened. We honestly were good because I had gone to the grocery store and stocked up on food. But I was just so baffled and scared that, like, the leadership of the world was so ignorant to what was happening. If me or Joe Schmo could see what was on the horizon. <laughs> and it just was like a very eye awakening of how how little is paid attention to such important aspects of like, our everyday life.
1: <laughs> how did your four-year-old deal with the isolation in the early part of this, uh, Sarah?
5: She had a really hard time because she's an extrovert and she uh-huh. loves being with people and being home with two parents that were also trying to balance working from home was really, really hard. Mm. I was lucky to work for a company that was really supportive of families, but it was a really hard time.
1: Sarah, thanks for sharing your experience with us. We appreciate it. And if I had said to you a year ago, Marjorie, that a huge percentages of people would not only be returned, not returned to the office after three years and probably never return to the office more than a day or so a week, you would have said it was crazy, right? But yeah. that's the permanent condition. No, right?
2: absolutely. I'm getting I'm getting some uh, text, too from people that are, are, are uh, physicians or RNs who worked in mm-hmm. the hospital, and talking about how horrible it was at the beginning, uh, when they were watching people lose their lives. And remember, they were debating if you should be better off putting the ink the uh, the, the ventilator, remember they turned people over? That was the thinking that we would put people on now. their stomach instead of on their backs with the ventilator, and there was so much uncertainty about it. And uh, this particular person, this uh, Jeff from Boston, is saying uh, many healthcare workers now feel forgotten, yet they're still reeling from the trauma that they went through uh, during the COVID thing. He said, um, it, you saw the humanity at its best. And then at its worst, you saw doctors and RNs uh, to cleaning staff at the hospitals report every day and risk their lives to take care of other people. Do you remember what you
1: said almost every day on the air in terms of what the news was showing and what they weren't showing and what they should be showing?
2: Well, I I often thought that if the beginning of this... uh, We showed very sanitized pictures. We We showed people on ventilators. But I remember at the time getting texts from nurses and physicians and saying that people gasp for breath, Mm
6: -hmm.
2: and that if you saw that and you saw what actually happened to people that lost their lives, there would be a lot less debate about whether we should get vaccines. And I was sorry we didn't do that because I think think when you see that, like when you see these horrors of other things that happen, it really uh, brings at home what you were were facing. Anyway, Susan from Marblehead, thank you for calling.
1: Hello, Susan.
7: Hi guys. No, Marjorie, I was just, I wanted to uh, tag off of that, what you were just saying. It just came to mind. I have a different story about my situation, but the, the, the way the news kept showing everyone getting the needles, the needles, the needles for the vaccination. I was like, why are they doing this? People who are afraid of needles are not going to go get vaccinated. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was like, let's, let's show, you know, exactly what you were saying.
2: Um, they could have shown like, the stickers, Susan, that we were all get, get yeah. after our little <laughs>
7: <laughs> lollipop. Yeah, stuff. exactly. Um, But I I was in Manhattan for 25 years and I moved to Marblehead and I opened a home decor shop and five months in, we had to close because of COVID. Yeah. Um, And sure, that was tough. But at the same time, I was counting my blessings because I had so many friends in studio apartments in New York City and I have friends that are physicians and nurses and what they've gone through. But um, I remember the moment where Baker said, like, all non-essential. And I was like, okay, so I just put my life savings into a, you know a silly business of home decor and interior design and, and had to close our doors. So we tried to change gears and uh, started working to try and raise money for families and get our, uh, our website going. And um, I remember people saying, you know, I got out of New York City just in time and I, I kind of, <laughs> like I did, I could sit in my backyard and I talked about yeah. New York City and stuck in their studio apartments and it broke my heart. And um, Susan, were you able...
2: Were you able to uh, redeem your business? Were you able to go back to it after COVID, or no? Yes. I'm, oh, good. I'm
7: sitting in my shop right good. now by the skin of my teeth, and Marblehead has been very um, supportive of Room Tonic, my shop, and uh, roomtonic.com, plug. <laughs> um, but, uh, it's, 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 I, I've been I've been lucky, but I. Uh, it breaks my heart because I'd go to New York City and walk around, and everything's closed. All my favorite restaurants are closed. All my favorite shops, the mom and pops are closed, and it's... Um, it's devastating.
1: It's heartbreaking. So, Susan, that was a great call. Thank you. Good luck with your business. Speaking of restaurants, I don't know if you heard the statistic yesterday from the I think it was the Mass Restaurant Association. Only six percent of businesses, uh, restaurants in Massachusetts today, are doing have are collecting more revenue than they were three years ago. Only six percent wow. have an increase, and a vast majority are levels lower than when the. Uh, pandemic started three years ago. So it's not over for restaurants, needless to say. And by the way, if you read, I I check the New York Times thing every day. I don't know why I do, but I do. Uh, The lowest death numbers nationally every day were in the mid 300s. And last week they were in the mid 500s. 500 deaths still a day. That's close to 170,000 deaths a year still. Now, obviously, most of them are vulnerable people. People, older and, people, and a that lot of sort people of haven't
2: gotten the full range of vaccines. Well, the, I think it's only thirty percent have gotten the bivalent vaccine. In terms vaccine. of the,
1: yeah, right, the booster. Yeah, yeah. and that—that
2: that is the beauty of it. That um, I mean, if you are immunocompromised or you are elderly, you have other health conditions. But if you are, uh, if you aren't, uh, if you're lucky enough to be healthy and you get those vaccines, when you get COVID, it's—it's it's not a big deal anymore. What
1: do we learn about this? I don't mean you and me. What did as a society? I would say, virtually nothing. Is that?
2: Well, Biden has just cut all the uh, pandemic funding, right? If you, you want to get your if you want to get your uh, tests for free, you better hurry up. I think they're all done in, in, in May, something like that. You know, what a lot of people are testing about. Remember the Clorox wipes? That of was course. huge. That was huge. I mean, you could you could charge somebody twenty-five bucks <laughs> for Clorox wipes in the parking lot, maybe hundred bucks in the parking lot. We were desperate for Clorox wipes, toilet paper. Remember, for a while you couldn't get sponges.
1: I do. And you I know do. what else? It's not. How did you feel when you found? a pack of 12 rolls of toilet paper when you ran down the aisle and there was literally one yeah. case or one package. Did you ever left. steal a
2: roll from the men's room at GBH, Jim?
1: Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs>
2: It's very tempting, I'll tell you that. When you couldn't find any toilet paper and you go to the men's room and you see 20 rolls.
1: We called that borrowing at the time. Anybody notice
2: if I just sneak one? Anyway, we're looking back at COVID at the three-year mark. Yes, it was three years ago today when things started shutting down. You're listening to 89.7 GBH. We are broadcasting from the Boston Public Library. And we are streaming at Facebook.com GBH News. You are listening to 89.7 GBH.
1: to Boston Public Radio, Jim Browdy and Marjorie Egan. We're live at the Boston Public Library, as we are every Friday. We're streaming at facebook.com slash GBHnews. If you just uh, joining us, we're talking about the three-year anniversary of the declaration of emergencies in Massachusetts and around the country uh, because of COVID. Three full years into this, how has your life changed? Are you still avoiding buffets, visiting your grandmother, going into the office? The number is 877-301-8970. Somebody texted and said... Uh, they just visited their kid in Vancouver, British Columbia. First flight they have taken since COVID. Here's another person. I'm glad you're talking about this. My name is Mark. My family owns Glove Cleaners. We're a full-service PPE and safety supply company based in Plainville. We held a drive-through event for Plainville and Rentham, where we gave away over 1,200 bottles of disinfectant to the public because no one could get any. That's right. We suited That's up right. in Tyvek suits and face shields and placed them in people's trunks. No contact, so surreal. Nick from Boston, thank you for calling. Hi, hey, Nick.
0: Hey, how are you guys doing? We're good. No, oh, thanks. Great. Well, I've got a story for you guys. It yeah. It's very dramatic because it was at the very beginning. I'm a working musician here in Boston. Uh-huh. And I, my last paying gig was March 3rd at the Marriott Long Wharf, the day of the, the event that's spread the I felt like I was patient zero, you know.
1: What was, a bio oh, you the were a BioGen.
0: biogen. So I was at the Biogen Convention at the oh, no. March third.
1: That was, <laughs> was the, the first last... super spreader event and was that, it not?
0: Uh, yeah. And, and and what makes it even more dramatic is I'm a walking hypochondriac. I was like yes, <laughs> you know, I'm like terrified like, to even do the gig because it was already like other people were saying I was already well aware of this thing and and I <laughs> just it was so ironic for me, if you, if you knew who I was, the way I, 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 just, I couldn't believe it. But the thing that struck me at that party, these are all people from the Biogen Convention who are scientists, and they're all in the bar joking about a beer that we don't hear about much but called a Corona beer. They're like, "Man, hey, you want to have a Corona? I
2: uh-huh. remember.
1: <laughs> I totally yeah. remember and, that. And yeah. that the
2: Biogen convention was was deemed the super spreader in Boston, wasn't yeah, that the deal? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it, oh, yes yeah absolutely.
0: It, we went from one case in, uh, I think at UMass, to like, like, a, like four days later, sixty people were yeah taken to to Beth Israel. And I remember flipping out, trying to call the city, the state, uh, talking about. marriage. The, whole, the the headlines focused sort of more on the Biogen convention, but they didn't focus on the fact that the Marriott was probably a, like, a, like a gateway to <laughs> uh, all, the, because not only was it the Mar- Marriott Hotel itself, but the MBTA. Yep, um, yep, yep. Right? The Faraday. Yeah. So, so it's shipping, thousands of people a day that are shipping it off to Chelsea and Revere. It was just, it hey. was very... Nick, Nick, that was a great call. That was a great call. Uh,
2: Julie from Amesbury talks about the caravan drive-by birthday celebrations. Remember that? Of course. And I remember there were some kids that they graduated from high school. What they do is they drive by in the car with their parents or grandparents, whatever. The kid would get out. You know, the, the the principal or whatever is all covered up so they wouldn't get any. Three feet across, you know, hand the kid the diploma, the kid would get back. We in the had car. a principal
1: on the show mm-hmm. who was one of the first principals yep. that organized an in person yep. graduation where it was in, in it was sort of a rolling That's graduation, right. X number of people. Then why? They had to keep whatever it was, six feet distance. Halloween. That was a big problem.
2: How do you give out the candy at Halloween? Do you just sit inside, let the kids come up and grab it? What did you do about Halloween? That was a big thing. Lots of people saved a lot of money on weddings, though. You have those teeny tiny COVID weddings. Like your kids. Yes. And you had to have the little little COVID mask, the special bridal COVID mask, you know, would like beat a little white mask everybody wore the... Do you stop it, to
1: think about a million people dying in this country at all? Yes, I mean, it it's is horrible. A million I mean, people. And we all
2: know some of them. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and we know people that, that got long COVID and, and in some cases still haven't recovered. I mean, it was a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. And you think of the people that died early on... Because we still didn't know uh, that much know, about the virus, right? Hey, Jamie,
1: can you check something for us? You know, Alec Goldstein, who's a political advisor, created in his own time that fabulous uh, Twitter page, Faces of COVID, where he people sent him photographs and a short story about someone they loved who died from COVID. And he, he really provided an incredibly important and wonderful and selfless service. I'm curious to know if he's still posting. Faces of COVID. Was Here's a, a good one. Account.
2: This is from a vet saying "This his life has changed dramatically or if she, I don't know if it's a woman or a man. When 30% of households out of the pet, people realized how important pets are exactly. in their daily lives and struggled to keep up. And the vets had to struggle to keep up with this massive explosion in demand. I remember people were seeing, vets were in the parking lot treating the dogs in a lot of cases. And the vet said some people became more entitled uh, and we were sometimes treated very poorly. Others were grateful. Uh, we were able to take care of them. Uh, but he says, in the aftermath, my conversation with owners about vaccines have changed. People in general seem much more open to discussion around vaccines and are better educated. Don't you remember,
1: though, what happened with the pets? We discussed this with a lot of vets. When the co- when COVID started uh, uh, I guess plateauing mm-hmm. and coming down. Remember what happened? People were abandoning pets. Well, I don't people think that's were going happened back. too much, People were it? going back to work and the pets were suffering from yeah. some sort of withdrawal because they had spent the first part of their life. I
2: thought it was the opposite. I thought that was rare. That people were pretty I don't good. Know if that's
1: a, I don't know. I don't yeah. think you're right, but maybe. Gigi
2: watch, is watching online and says, what she said. I have to admit, I miss the lockdown. <laughs> That was a boon to some people who did like the idea of being by themselves, and it's a boon to a lot of workers who will never ever go back to five days a week. Right? They're going to work at home one day a week, two days a, a week. A lot of people are not going
1: back to work at all. And it's
2: also been a wonderful thing for people who, who do have that uh, opportunity not to work from the office. They can go, you know, take a vacation somewhere and do their work at some wonderful locale. And uh, well, it's changed your life,
1: has it not?
2: Yes, I, I, I work at home at least. I know. I try to work at home at least one or two days a week, I Jim. I mean, Jim, of course, is ruining the curve for everybody else because he I'm comes in to do that. every single solitary day. 877-301-8970. Susan at Weymouth, thank you for calling.
8: Thank you so much for taking my call. Thank you, Susan. Uh, long time sustainer, multiple caller in. Thank so you. Our daughter graduated from the University of Maine in Orono in 2020. She had taken a part-time job in order to um, pay for a trip with 15 of her friends to the Dominican Republic and an um, all-exclusive, well, exclusive is little e, anyways, resort. Uh, they were there for two days and were in the bar line and heard from other guests that the resort was going to be shutting down. Um, um. We had pleaded with her before, please don't go, this is serious. She was like, I'm going, i paid for it. So they they closed the resort. Um, She was able to, they went out to the airport. They were there for, I think, about three days, sleeping on the floor. She found a um, woman through um, the check-in person who was a... um, a travel agent in Boston, and was able to get all these kids back Mm. on different flights. They kept booking these flights. They kept getting canceled. Um, As a parent, we were absolutely beside ourselves, trying to be calm, but... um, explaining that when you're on an island, we can't rent you a car to bring
1: you home. uh, You're not alone in that parental fear, by the way, Susan. We talked to a lot of people at the time that were worried about where their kids were and getting their kids back to where they needed to be. Susan, thank you for the call. By the way, uh, Alec Goldstein still does have the Faces of COVID site up. He posted as recently as yesterday, Claire Migliori, 77, of New Philadelphia, Ohio, died on March 2nd. She loved crafting and spending time with her family. She was especially fond of her dog, Sammy. When not caring for her family, she enjoyed volunteering with the Historical Society. People are dying, as I say, at the rate of 150 to 170,000 a year in the United States of America. So it's over for a lot of people, but it is not over for all.
2: Okay, one last text before we wrap this up. This is from Mike in Gloucester. I joined the Moderna Covert COVID vaccine study in the summer of 2020, based at the Brigham. I had my farewell visit a few days ago after 16 visits. It felt good to be one of the many thousands in the search for a viable vaccine. It helped me deal with the monotony and all the worry and sadness that came with COVID. Well, it
1: took courage, too, early on to be part of the trials, don't you think?
2: Yeah, absolutely. did. Absolutely. Okay, we are going to talk up next with Boston Medical Center's Dr. Catherine Gergen Barnett. We'll ask her about three years into COVID and Mm -hmm. a bunch of other health concerns, uh, um, including the real-world impact of corporations and big money on our health and our wellness. You are listening to Boston Public Radio, 89.7 GBH. We are broadcasting live from the Boston Public Library as we do every Tuesday and every Friday. And we are streaming at Facebook.com slash GBH News.
1: Welcome back to Boston Public Radio. Jim Browdy and Marjorie again live at the Boston Public Library, streaming at facebook.com slash GBH News. We're joined now by Dr. Katherine Gergen-Barnett. She's the Vice Chair of Primary Care Innovation and Transformation at Boston Medical Center and Clinical Associate Professor at BU Medical School. Good to see you, Doctor.
9: Wonderful being with you,
2: both. Great to have you. Thank you. So we have been talking, as you heard a little bit of, uh, with our listeners about the third anniversary of the COVID uh, lockdown. And... We also mentioned, I think maybe Jim did, that um, in President Biden's budget. It's actually I, you. Oh, okay. I mentioned it.
1: One of us uh, did. One
2: of us did. Uh, that uh, pandemic funding is cut. And I'm wondering from the medical perspective how people are thinking about where we are now in yeah. 2023 and whether we can
9: afford to do that. Absolutely. So I, I think we, we touched base upon this a little bit last month when I was here. We know that on May 11th is when the emergency funding kind of dries out. Um, Again, I think that we're very blessed to live in a state like Massachusetts where a lot of those benefits will continue to be covered. Um, We do know know things like SNAP benefits and many other pieces which are critical for families, especially those who are marginalized already, um, will be impacted. I think the big thing is thinking about how do we make sure we do not move funding off of learning again, and, and concretizing whatever we have learned over the last three years in terms of thinking about public health investment, long-term strategy. My my concern, and I know part of what we're going to talk about today, is that we're just going to go on to the next health topic, the next hot button, um, and we're going to forget everything that came before um, now that the funding is dry. Well, by
1: out. the way, I think that's happened without belaboring Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, as recently as a few months ago, Joe Biden, and I'm not blaming him, as I'll explain in a minute, was talking about extra tens of billions to be prepared for the next pandemic, not to mention making sure we fund whatever additional shots are necessary. Virtually none of that money's in the budget, as Marjorie That's said. Correct. And in defense of Biden, it's not in there because he knows he has no chance of getting through the Republican House of Representatives, which is this one. I asked Marjorie before, what do we learn from this? The answer is our leaders, yep. at least enough to stymie any progress, learn nothing, which is really yeah. frightening for yeah. not only real people, but people who do what you do for a living. It's got to yeah. be horrible.
9: Yeah, I mean, I think, again, it's sort of uh, the fatigue of trying to fight a Republican agenda around this is set in. And I think the fatigue around um, people and and sort of all of us um, sitting down and saying, okay, how do we have the real hard conversations about what happened? Um, that being said, I will say that people are more expert about their own health and the way that things spread oh. um, than they've ever been. I've never been contacted by news outlets to talk about, you know, whatever um, gastrointestinal virus is going <laughs> around, which has always been here every That's year. And I'm saying, well, what what's news about that? But everything is news. So, um, you know, I don't want to um, kind of make, make everything a hot-button issue, but I do hope that people kind of keep that piece involved. But to your point, Jim, I do think that there is a real issue um, that will need to come out and will need to be a major focus of Governor Healy as we march forward and think about what do we think about when we think about health? Is it just medicine? Is it just health care? Or is it actually working with the new climate chief? and thinking about how climate and health are interrelated and how do we work together. Well,
1: not only, uh, Governor Hilly was with us about a week or so ago. I mean, she spoke yep. to a lot of those things and seems to be where you would like her to be. We'd all like her to be, yes. not to mention one specific, this uh, uh, replacing roughly 40% of the SNAP benefits that will be lost for at least a few months. I think she used, it, uh, used the expression an off-ramp. I yes. mean, not saying it was a great That's thing, correct. but at least cushioning the yeah. blow for low- and moderate-income people who yeah. become totally dependent upon nutritional food and yep. funding from the government. We're talking to Dr. Catherine Gergen. Barnett? I know we,
2: we want to get to co- talking about corporations and health, but I, and may, there may not be a, a, a link here, but I do want to ask you about this um, so-called medical tourism that we've yeah. all learned about this week when yeah. these, uh, these four people uh, went to Mexico. I, the mother was hoping to get some cosmetic surgery, and she survived. Another man was shot. Two others were Killed, um, but there's been a lot of reporting about all these Americans going on a regular basis to yeah. Mexico to get uh, cheaper care. That uh, one example is a tooth implant with an acrylic crown that would cost three thousand four hundred dollars in the United States go- goes for one thousand six hundred fifty bucks in Mexico. Apparently, people are even going there for coronary bypass operations. Yeah. I'd be scared to death, uh, but they're you know three times the price in the United States. So. It's kind of a sad state of affairs, I guess, that people feel they have to go to another country to yeah. get
9: a, uh, an implant. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the story highlighted what has been there for a long time. Um, I think, you know, again, the story highlighted somebody who went there for a tummy tuck, right? right. So maybe people were less sympathetic. But when you actually do um, the deep dive research in terms of what you just said, people are going there for dental care. Right. And so this is a fundamental flaw in our healthcare system that people do not have dental care coverage in the same way that they have health care coverage. The fact that our teeth are considered separate from our body is unbelievable and actually a very, very difficult thing as a primary care doctor trying to take care of the whole body.
1: By the way, I think people remember that Bernie Sanders fought like hell Absolutely. to have it included Absolutely. in one of the major bills, both vision and yep. dental, neither of which are included in Medicare. Correct. And unfortunately, he was unsuccessful.
9: That's right. So hopefully that will continue to be on some people's agenda. Um, and And so the fact is, is this medical tourism thing has been happening. But again, it's thinking about how do we make... A lot of money in terms of, you know, where people, and in, in the example of cosmetic surgery, right, and the corporation push of having people go to the extreme, in this case, of bariatric or tummy tucks or things like that. Now what is a tummy when, tuck? Okay, well, tummy tuck is just taking extra tissue and, and literally excising it and kind of sewing up but that area. it's an operation where you it's could surgical. Be, it's yeah. surgical. And I actually, in my own office, I have had patients come back with botched surgeries from being abroad, and they had not shared with me that they would do it, because you know, part of it is, how do we continue to make sure that we're having that kind of transparent conversation, that things are really hard to get covered here, um, and how are we going to get better health insurance, and how are we going to keep corporations Responsible for all of the foods that they're pushing out and the ways that we have food deserts. So, people who are traditionally marginalized will have poorer health outcomes and will have higher rates of obesity. Um, and so, you know, we're blaming people for going to other countries. And honestly, in a lot of cases, we can't blame them because we're not offering those things here at a reasonable price. So, doctor,
1: people. we're going to talk about uh, Weight Watchers, which yeah. used to say, uh, it's all about nutrition and diet. I know they don't use the word diet anymore. Nutrition, right. <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden, it's about medicine, too. We'll talk right. about how they got in the medicine yep. business. Before we get to that, though, when someone comes to you yep. and says, uh, I've been overweight my whole life. Yep. I want that bariatric, is that how you pronounce it? surgery. Surgery. Yep. I can't afford it here. Yep. Uh, the deductible and the copay is too much. I want to go across the border to Mexico where I can get it at half the price. What do you say to them?
9: Well, actually, again, bariatric surgery is covered, so we'll it's pick a something cosmetic. Else. Pick something okay. Else. So, say somebody wants well, a cosmetic. tummy. It's not cosmetic. How about dental? Yeah. dental? Dental, not cosmetic. If somebody says, "I wanna," um, I have a crown. In this case, right? You brought it up. I have a crown that needs to re- be replaced. Um, you know, we do again in Massachusetts have places that people can go for much lower cost. That being said, you know. Again, you can say, I don't blame you. Let's talk about how to reduce your risk, right? So how do we make sure that when you go, you have my number. You mm-hmm. know these things to look out for. You have a follow-up appointment with me. So you're actually working mm-hmm. in partnership with people. The, the big thing about blaming people and shaming people, it never works, and it doesn't help.
2: Well, you know, you, you mentioned before the whole thing about... corporations pushing really bad food because I was talking with Jim about this when you looked at the obesity numbers I think we're like two thirds of us now are either overweight
9: or 70%
2: are, yeah. Okay, 70%. Yeah. And that has something to do... it I know that it's a chronic condition and there's a biological component, but it has to have something to do with the crummy food. 100%. Yeah,
9: So, and that's what yeah. you're talking about, the link. Yeah. Well, yeah. tell us. So, you know, I think, again, there's been so much that's come out around the AAP recommendations for children around obesity and the fact that now 12 years and up, we can give um, kids a medication for obesity. And 13 years and up, we can recommend... Recommend bariatric surgery. But very few people are saying, what are we doing about dairy industry? What are we doing about sugar industry? What are we actually keeping people accountable for in terms of what they put into neighborhood stores? How do we keep people accountable for the fact that a lot of communities, again, particularly marginalized communities, don't have grocery stores where they can get good healthy foods at a cheap price and that is a whole part of the conversation that is desperately lacking. Yeah
2: because when you baby boomers like Jim and I it was unusual I remember being in school it was unusual there were one or two kids in the class and I grew up in Fall River it's not a wealthy town that were that were overweight now you look in places like Brookline and Wellesley and two-thirds of the class is overweight It, it hasn't taken long for this to switch. It's, it's a
9: massive switch. And I can tell you as a parent of three children, it is so hard as a parent, right? Because again, it's considered a celebration. A celebration means cake and cookies and um, and really different kind of you know way of thinking about how do we celebrate when in fact we don't think about the long term consequences. Not to you know mention the. What do you mental celebrate with crudité
1: in your house? What do you celebrate with?
9: <laughs> Some
2: broccoli stalks.
9: My <laughs> She's that famous. would be that would be my fantasy. Uh, but you know I do also have to walk the line of being a normal mother too. Um, so you know I think I think the way how do we continue to talk about. A, the way that we raise our children together. How do we build communities? How do you make, you know, sidewalks? All the things that we talk about in public health, but the fact is, is that's not part of the conversation. Yeah. Well,
1: you know, can we talk get back to the Weight yes. Watchers thing and Please. the Ozempic and the or whatever it's called where you yes. see an ad every 30 seconds yes. on CNN? You know, on one hand, I say since we do have, and I was a heavy kid off and on through my whole... But it was
2: unusual, wasn't it? I, it your was class? fairly unusual. Yeah.
1: Marjorie jokes that my mother had to roll me to school. No, Talk you about joke. not supportive. <laughs> you. Now mean, you got those fancy... It's true, sne- by the way. You got, got those did. fancy
9: sneakers. You can go anywhere. That's so right. in any case, yeah. you
1: know, on one hand, I say, considering we have a crisis in this country... Of overweight, yeah. uh, It's great that there are drugs that apparently work. You'll tell us if they do. On sure. the other hand, I say to myself, and I'm, I'm, I'm imagining my own self as a heavy yeah. kid, right. is I'm saying, well, now I really don't have to worry about being a heavy kid because yeah. I don't have to go through the hard work yeah. of eating better or worrying about nutrition or diet. Yeah. When I'm, the time is right, I just take a drug. So the, the answer to me is it's both good news and bad news. Where do you end up on this?
9: 100% exactly where you are. I think in terms of thinking about... Absolutely, we need to address obesity in children. Absolutely, we need to address obesity in our Uh, communities, 70%. Um, To say that there is this easy solution, this easy fix is very American, right? And again, it's like, (laughs) it's exactly what's happening post-pandemic. It's like, okay, let's just move on, right? Um, And the fact is, is it's $1,300 a month, mostly out of pocket. So let's think Ozempic about $1,300 uh, yeah. So Ozempic is is sometimes covered if it's for diabetes. Okay. So remember, there's two. It's the same medication, but it's, it's um, marketed differently. So I can't pronounce
1: B- the other one. Wagovi? Wagovi? Wagovi. Perfect. Okay, yeah. So
9: Wagovi is for the weight loss. Ozempic is for diabetes. I see. Ozempic is often covered because it's for diabetes. Wagovi is not covered, despite the fact they're talking about obesity being a chronic disease, right? So inherently, there is... A contradiction that's happening with that, right? So you're saying it's a chronic disease, we've got a medication, but you have to pay for it.
1: So is it unethical for you as a doctor to prescribe Ozempic, the diabetic drug, even though you're not treating diabetes, you're treating overweight because, you know, that's covered and Wagovi is not?
9: So some people are starting to do that. Um, you have to kind of justify medications for in all cases. Um, you know, and the fact is, is you have to stay on this medication, or else you go back exactly where you were. What do you mean forever? Forever. Forever.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. I didn't know that. Yes.
9: So there's evidence that being off for just one or two months, you're going to go back to the exact place you were. And actually, maybe even worse, because you're going to realize what it felt like to be lighter, right? Um, So that means unless you
1: integrate behavioral change with taking the drug... Yeah. you're going to be spending potentially $1,300 yeah. a month for the yeah. rest of your there life.
9: There has to be a comprehensive approach for all disease management. And, I again, I worry that we're just focused on the medication and we're going to lose sight on all the other things mm-hmm. we need to do, including the way that we do food industry.
7: You know, when you
2: said the word Ozempic, I've been reading it. I hadn't been hearing it in my head. As soon as you said that. The
1: ads, right? The stop
2: I'm not going to say it for you. But Call your doctor. I, I, I know. Th- that <laughs> is what like, they say. Oh, yeah. real. Oh, oh, oh. Ozempic, oh, yeah. yeah. You hear this constantly <laughs> on the radio. radio and television. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So they're yeah. obviously spending tons and tons of money about Absolutely,
9: this. and now there's a shortage. There's a shortage. Uh, right? So it's it's continuing, and this is kind of goes into another thing of Adderall, right? So it's like we push things. So the similar things. Or there's a shortage on Adderall. So we push, 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 or pharmacy pushes, and, you know, this – uh, solution, this quick solution. For ADHD. This is for, um, yeah, attention right, deficit. For, AD, yeah. for ADHD. And I'm not, ADHD is absolutely um, something that, you know, should be treated, should be evaluated. And again, not at all judging any part of it. But it's recognizing that we continue to put people on medications and then, Um, they're, uh, you know, it's sort of at the mercy, again, of these pharmaceutical companies, then running low on these medicines, and people then being left high and dry. And this is specifically happening, again, with Wigobia and and Ozempic.
2: Well, you know, with Adderall, um, uh, I I went to to John Maloney's uh, comedy show. Maloney, Maloney. excuse me, a couple of weeks ago, and he was apparently one one of the many medications he had when he arrived at at rehab. It was very (laughs) (laughs) Jody Drugs, no, I don't. Yeah, they open his pocket. Right. He's got cocaine. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he's got heroin. He's got like a, you know, right. a pharmacy yeah. in his pockets. And the other drugs was Adderall. But Adderall's an upper, right? Yeah. And lots of people that may not have attention deficit disorder yep. stand on it because it's an upper and yep. you lose weight.
9: You lose weight. Yeah, it's a, a bit of an so amphetamine.
2: How much, is it, is it abused to a large degree It or can not? be.
9: I mean, that's part of why it needs to be under doctor's orders. And, you know, as a primary care doctor, I work very closely with my colleagues and ensuring that people are taking it appropriately. We actually check something called MassPAT, which is the same thing we, same service will check for an opioid. We're, we actually look to see any time a patient has filled Adderall, and by whom, like who is a prescriber. So, you know, it's regulated, um, and most people are not abusing it, but we do actually have to watch carefully. Because it does
2: work if you it do works. have attention deficit. Yeah, yeah. So okay.
9: yeah. That's you're,
1: good you're talking about the corporate world, yes. mostly, especially big pharma in yes. the world of uh, medicine. Uh, what's your reaction to Walgreens? saying they're not going to be doing one of the two uh, medical abortion drugs in yeah. 21 states. Most incredibly yeah. to me, including three where abortion is legal. Yes. 18, and all yeah. uh, those all those states are states in which Republican attorneys general yeah. have either sued or threatened to sue. Yeah. And by the way, Gavin Newsom, to his credit,
9: yeah. has know, stood up I, and yeah. said the
1: $65 million we invest in Walgreens, Walgreens every year in California, gone. Yeah. Yeah. What's your reaction to this? Yeah,
9: no, I think that kind of leadership is needed. And I was, you know, obviously heartened when I heard Governor Healy on your show yeah. talking about, you know, continued support for women. Um Again, as somebody who does full-spectrum care and takes care of women's health issues all of the time, I think we are at a real point where people's rights are um, dangerously close to being redacted. Um, We know that this medication that's being taken out of pharmacies was approved by the FDA to be given out by right. pharmacies. And so now, you know, I think many of your listeners are aware that we have this um, federal judge that we're waiting to hear from any moment who may redact the opportunity of, of um, pharmacies to be giving a medicine that was already approved by the FDA. So, again, where are we? Are we at a place where politics can trump science again? Yeah. Um, and what are all the downstream consequences for women and families Families and communities—if we're not going to have the access to these kind of medications. Well, we
2: talked about those women in Texas that are suing the state of yeah. their about their ban on abortion, but they're not even asking to get rid of the ban. They're asking that physicians get to make the decision of about course. whether they are in dire straits. One of them was septic, which can kill you, right? Yes. And she couldn't get an abortion. An, and, and, the, and the fetus and its yeah. problems in utero yeah. were, was causing her yeah. sepsis.
9: Yeah. I mean, these, these medications are not just used for abortion, yeah. right? And they're, they're medical emergency drugs. Um, and we are withdrawing a massive line of life support for, for women.
2: You know, uh, one quick thing before you go. We don't have much time left. But what is going on with mammograms and dense breast results?
9: Yes. I, I saw that article. It was forwarded to me. And I was like, I wonder if there's a Marjorie out uh... <laughs> I've been told a that. Question. I'm not sure what it means. Um, okay, they do so, tell you though. So, so the, the you know there, again, there's um, women. There's all kinds of recommendations that come up around mammograms, and even in healthcare, you know, we're we're kind of straggling between different recommendations. So, the USTSPF, which is a massive organizing force, says get your mammograms 50 and up. Um, and then there's all these other groups called, you know, including ACOG and Cancer Society said, so start your mammograms at 40 and get them every year, right? So most people are starting at 40. And now the recommendations or um, are, are coming out saying... Places that do mammograms have to be regulated, and they need to tell their the women how dense their breasts are. Okay, so it's a grade system, right? Okay, a we only have 20 D. seconds, and when okay. you find out
1: your breasts are dense, okay. what do you do about All it? All right,
9: so if your breasts are hyper-dense, you need to be making sure you work to get an MRI or further imaging, hmm. and then make sure it's covered. Okay.
1: Good to see you, Catherine. Oh, thank you. thank you so
9: much. So, so wonderful. Dr. We covered so many things. Yes, we did. Dr.
2: Katherine <laughs> Gricker-Barnett is the vice chair of primary care innovation and transformation at Boston Medical Center and a clinical associate professor at Boston University's medical school. Thank you very, very much for thank coming you. in, Doctor. We much thank appreciate you. it. Okay, coming up right after the noon new news, we're going to be here uh, joined by GBH's Callie Crossley, Raspberry Rally. What is that? Well stay tuned. Kyle's going to fill us in. You're listening to Boston Public Radio 897 GBH. We are broadcasting live from the Boston Public Library and we are streaming at facebook.com GBH News. Marjorie, and you're listening to our number two of Boston Public Radio, 89.7 GBH. We are broadcasting live as we do every Tuesday and every Friday from the Boston Public Library, and we are streaming at facebook.com/GBHnews. And we
1: were supposed to have said, Marjorie, which we what? failed at uh, starting at 11 o'clock on Tuesday when we're here. The mayor is with us. That's for right. Ask the mayor. This coming Tuesday, Mayor Wu will uh, join us. One other thing I want to say, uh, in the one o'clock hour, like we do every Friday, we have live music. Yep. This choral group, Choral Allegro, was supposed to bring five or six members of the group. There were 23 of them just rehearsing, and it was spectacular. So if you're anywhere near the library, I would suggest if you need a little bit of a lift, you just come on by. In any case, uh, where are we? Oh, we're joined now by GBH's (laughs) Callie Crossley. Callie's the host of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, which you catch Sunday nights right here on 89.7.6. She's also the host of Basic Black, which airs Fridays at 7.30. You can also hear her Callie commentaries on Mondays for GBH's morning edition. Welcome, Callie Crossley. Hello, Jen. Hello, Callie Callie Crossley.
2: Hello, Callie So, Callie Crossley, as you know, uh, Jim Browdy has been insisting for months now that Michelle Obama is going to be uh, running for president. Well... Uh, so may I
1: correct you to begin with? It's not months, it's years. years okay. I suggested she was going to be the nominee yeah. in 2020, the nominee.
2: <laughs> yes. Well, the great Renee Graham, by the way, the, she's going to be joining us on, on Monday, Monday yep. uh, because she writes a lot of terrific columns. But, and we're going to talk to her about this one as well, Jim, <laughs> that she says, as Callie has been saying, it ain't happening.
10: Not happening. No, <laughs> no, no, it is no, not no, no, no you know, it is not. I, I know that hope spring is eternal, but no. Yeah. Um, you know, she's, first of all, she's done that a little bit from yep. then, mm-hmm. and so that's enough. But I also uh, keep repeating what she said at a um, Simmons uh, leadership conference a few years ago in which she said, you know, why is it that we are always looking, meaning we, are, you know, all of us, looking for her, or whoever may be deemed to be the it person or the charismatic person or whatever instead of – looking at people who have spent some time in the trenches, you know, trying to uh, provide great leadership in government roles who have talent in that arena. She said that's where we should be looking and supporting. She said, you know, I'm all about, you know, obviously because she's got a whole voting thing. I want people to vote. I want people to be excited about you know, what it means to protect our democracy but i am not the best representative
1: well okay she is going to run clearly and here's why she is going to run <laughs> okay. and by the way it's a stronger argument than i had okay. two years ago okay okay because- there is a lot of pressure on mm-hmm. joe biden because of his age right. i know people get angry about this mm-hmm. the reality is he would be 86 at the end of a second term mm-hmm. with all due respect to a president who's done a lot of good things mm-hmm. is too old mm-hmm. Kamala Harris is not very popular. Mm-hmm. So the question is, if you don't, if Joe Biden is convinced he shouldn't run, mm-hmm. and Kamala Harris is a losing proposition, according to many, I'm not an expert on that two years out, who is the one person could come save the day who I would argue... Has been in the trenches. Has satisfied all the criteria that you said she said at Simmons. We should be looking for it. The answer is there's only one person: that's Michelle Obama. And as I've said many times, I will accept both <laughs> okay. of your apologies yeah. when the yeah. time comes. We're not worried about President it. Obama, you- <laughs> January 2025. <laughs> I you don't,
2: I don't, don't think it's, uh, it's happening. No. Uh, so this, a big study about the police in Louisville and people may yeah. remember yep, yep, uh, that yep, is yep. where Brianna, t- Brianna Taylor was was killed uh, when she was. Uh, sleeping in her her boyfriend's apartment, actually, and Mm -hmm. there was a knockdown, a screwed-up warrant that was the wrong person, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, The young man thought, you didn't know who the heck was coming through the door. She was shot multiple times. Well, apparently there is a very
10: bad history in Louisville. Big bad. Yeah, tell us. Yeah, so they just, uh, the uh, Merrick Garland's Justice Department just finished its two-year-old report, because, you know, people have been saying, What's going on? So he just finally released it, um, and said these three things, which is pretty uh, intense. The Kentucky, the Louisville, Kentucky police force routinely discriminates against black residents, uses excessive force, and conducts illegal searches. Um, In addition to that, there was a whole question about whether or not that no knock quote quote unquote no knock warrant, which is what happened at Breonna Taylor's apartment was legal or not, even that one was not supposed to have happened. And they lied. Know, the cops lied to get the exactly warrant from the right. judge. That's yeah. exactly right. And so as we know, they were they were well known for doing that kind of stuff. They were using dangerous neck restraints and police dogs and they allowed the dogs to bite people. I mean it's just a bad scene Can you imagine all around. That? I Letting I mean, the dogs I bite can't. people? I, I can't I can't, you know. Um, so this has now been documented again um, as Brianna Taylor's mother said, This is what we have been saying the whole time, and why did I have to lose my daughter for this to be documented? I mean, I just, every time I think about her just minding her business in her boyfriend's apartment, as you say, sleeping, and to be shot to death, and of course, he's, he was just emotionally. A Yes, yeah, sent over the edge. And he did file a lawsuit against them and won. Yep. You know, so... Or it so, it's the city, I don't know. So, so.
2: the reason that, that this was on the down low for so long was because this tragically does happen with police departments a lot? Or was there some uh, unusual political situation there? No, no.
10: This is, you know, I want to recall, I want people to go back to Ferguson. Yeah. Let's talk about when Michael Brown was killed, his body laid out in the street for hours hours before anybody did anything. And then they went back to sort of look at what was the police interaction with the community. And they were routinely pulling people over because this is how they had built into their budget, if you recall. This is what the, the docu- fines. The fines. Yep. So they just routinely harassed right. black folks that. because they built into the budget the finding that they would do of folks. And so this excessive force, all of that was already built into the system. So they're now, Louisville is now under consent decree. I think uh, Ferguson was. And there are many other um, police departments under. Springfield, Massachusetts of, yes, is correct. another one. Yeah.
1: You know, the, the, uh, yeah. I think part of the explanation, Marjorie, is you know that uh, I can't think of the guy, who was the attorney general? who was the first senator to endorse Trump, and then Trump turned on him uh, in Alabama. I can't think of his name oh, uh, at the He suspended. Um, the one uh, that
10: Kamala said. He told Kamala, you make me
1: nervous. Uh. Like, whoever he was. We'll think yeah. of his name. Oh, his name is Jeff Sessions. Thank, Thank, you. Thank you very yes. much, yes. Uh, Jamie. Thank you. So uh, <laughs> Trump's attorney general suspended all these consent decrees. That's right. Of yeah. things. Uh, and Merrick Garland, while well, we've criticized him a lot for the slow pace yeah. with which he has proceeded in terms of Donald, the crimes, the alleged crimes of uh, the former president, Donald mm-hmm. Trump, he said on day one that he was going to reinvigorate the civil rights division yeah. of, the, of the attorney general's office. And he's done it. I yeah. mean, he went to Louisville for yeah. this thing. And good for him. And in my sense, is, I hope it's true, I don't know if the record sports this, is it's possible that police departments and leaders, whether they be mayors or police chiefs, who don't play by the rules, who do allow their dogs mm-hmm. not just to bite suspects, but this article says once the suspect is subdued, yep. allow the dog to continue yep. to chew on the individual, maybe... They'll worry that they're next. If, if Garland is as relentless as he's been on these things, hopefully there'll be a trickle down effect where there'll be. I, maybe know, I'm being naive, but uh, I yeah, hope I, had, think you are.
2: <laughs> we had the new police commissioner in here, Michael Cox, yes, this week, and I no heard. one was talking about dogs, thank God, in Boston. But we were talking about the fact that you have bad actors on the police department that are fired, sometimes once, sometimes twice, right. like the, the, the gentleman –
1: David Williams. I wouldn't
2: want to call him a gentleman who, yeah. who beat the commissioner yeah. uh, uh, back in
1: 1995. It oh, is, there was that was – that, it is Williams, right? Yes. Jay Williams, yeah.
2: It, 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 they get reinstated through I arbitration. Know. So, so uh, this keeps happening because yes. the, the police unions here and elsewhere are extremely – powerful. Now we'll
1: see. But you hear what he said in answer to your question? That he supported Mayor Wu's position? Is the red line in contract negotiations? Arbitration cannot be in this contract. By the way, in fairness to Williams, I don't think he actually beat Michael Cox. He was at the scene. It was one of I believe this is... Can you check that also, Jamie? But uh, was implicated in the beating of Michael Cox right. in 1995.
10: Well, I mean, uh, so much of the, the discussions we have about these scenarios are the other people who are bystanders who just either say nothing or participate. And, you know, that makes it it's like it, with, Derek Chauvin. That's I mean, yeah. Yeah. Or Tyree Nichols. That's exactly right. Like. So
2: it, and, and, and for police officers that are trying to do the right thing, yeah. the fact that you are penalized for doing the right thing right. by some of these bad actors, yeah. it's going to be horrible, it, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, there needs to be kind of reforms, it seems to me, all over the place in terms of uh, you do the ro- bad, the wrong thing. You, you get, you got to pay for well, it.
10: Well, I don't know. Untangling all of this is going to be a, a long, long-term process. But if, if nothing else, and I, and I, it is, I can't even use the word bittersweet because that's just too small a word. But it's horrible that Brianna Taylor's mother said, you know, this is. We've been saying this. We've been saying this. There's been evidence. So now you have the document documentation based on my daughter's murder. You
2: know. Now, Kelly Cross, you know a lot about food. Mm-hmm. I Does would say
10: is? it's an unfair situation
2: for you to be on an airplane and you're a vegan and you're on a long this is flight. This the craziest and thing. And all you're going to get
10: to eat on the long flight is a banana. Is it, isn't this the craziest thing? <laughs> yeah, great tell I think this story. is a great story. This is the craziest thing. So this guy in business class, that's what stopped me. Business class, that's yeah. right. But business <laughs> Paying me. extra uh, wrote about a meal service and he confirmed with his flight attendant that he had ordered a vegetarian vegan meal. They said yes, this was a breakfast thing and they brought him a banana. And he said, oh, I thought this was going to go with something. <laughs> he got a banana. He said it was a very good banana <laughs> and he was yeah. on a flight to Japan so they put some uh, chopsticks on the plate. They gave it chopsticks. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, can you I didn't you read imagine? that part. Oh, yeah, is that yeah. great? I mean, that is the craziest thing. I would be so mad and they don't – they didn't seem to feel bad about it. You know, they're just like, well – Were they trying to know. get even because he said it was a vegan? No, I think they said, you know, it's a banana is a vegetarian. I guess. So they just – they didn't – I guess the, their point is we we didn't say how much we're going to give you, but we did give you something. <laughs> I don't so know. So the poor guy was, like, sitting there. They claim – actually, they, their explanation is that this – on the breakfast flights, on the switchover flights, when you're going on these long trips, that most people want to sleep. So they figured – you know, even the breakfast for the people who are not vegetarian isn't that big. And he said he acknowledged it, it wasn't that big, but they had a piece of bread and something. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I think it's absolutely, <laughs> yeah.
2: I think By it's absolutely way, outrageous. By the way, I to correct
1: myself. You were right. Uh, Jamie just uh, pulled up a little bit. During a civil rights jury trial in U.S. District Court, uh, two officers, including David Williams, were found liable for violating Cox's rights by mm. using excessive force mm. to subdue him. So mm. speaking of food, yes, I think we talked to you about the Raspberry Rally a few no. months yeah. ago. Yeah. Well, we what no. is the Raspberry Rally there, Kelly Cross? It's Crossa? the new
10: cookie uh, that's part of the rollout of the Girl Scout cookies. So they're going to try, every year they try a new taste, you know, just, just test it out. Well, they tried this one, and it's a thin mint with raspberry filling, just for everybody's. Um, edification, and, but they sold it only online. Apparently, and I've never had it because it was only online. Nor had I. And my Girl Scout connection is in the newsroom, and you know, her daughter couldn't get it because it's only online. So anyway, uh, it's yeah, – That's terrible. Loves I know. Everybody loves it. But here's the problem. What? Because everybody loves it, these, these cookie scalpers have grabbed up all Bunky the cookies. scalpers. <laughs> That's what I call them. They've grabbed up all the cookies, and they're reselling them on eBay for ridiculous amounts of money. But that money does not go to the Girl Scouts, which is the whole point of the Girl Scout cookies. As a former Girl Scout, who does it go to? The the yeah the you sellers know, you the first just, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you're you're just like just the secondary jamming. ticket market for yeah, like, a concert yeah. kind of thing. Sixty-eight yeah. bucks for a
1: box. A box. Yeah, but yeah.
10: They've seen them higher than that. Raspberry and yeah. mint. I don't know if they go no, together. it's not not raspberry and mint. It's raspberry and chocolate. Remember? Oh, it, it, they've it, got it it mint. the raspberry.
2: Okay, because I was going to say I don't think I like that raspberry mint. Right. I thin mints in general. So it's a former Girl Scout. That
1: would be you, not me. What? Yes. Uh, Most of those cookies are horrible. Are you kidding? (laughs) I I love the Girl Scouts, so I'm not criticizing. (laughs) Buy your Girl Scout cookies. Other than a thin mint, what is edible? And, oh, a, and oh. a raspberry rally. Oh
10: come on, the peanut butter ones and the ones are like
2: Oreos. Yeah, the, and, then and then vanilla Samoas. cream. Yeah, What's uh, the you? chocolate cream. They're good. Yeah, they're very, they're very
1: good. good. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah. those lemon ones. Those are good too. They are. Yeah. Yes, they were. Well, are you were really a Girl Scout. I was
10: a brownie, a Girl Scout, and all the way up. And also was named um, by the um, the eastern the group of the eastern Girl Scouts in Massachusetts. In Massachusetts, here. Yeah, yeah. a distinguished... You, you know. were yes, I'm. You know, I was. So
1: the, what does all the way up mean? A Girl
10: Scout honoree. Okay, fine.
1: <laughs> so I understand brownie and I understand Girl Scout. What okay. is the all the way thing? What does that mean?
10: It's equivalent to what would be on the boys at Eagle Scouts. Yeah, you yeah. just go up. So what you do for that? You no, know, you do activities. You have you earn badges. Like, you like know, what activity you do? I, Jesus, wasn't there, wasn't there sexism?
2: Wasn't there sexism with the Eagle Scout thing? Only boys could be Eagle Scouts. Wasn't
10: that the deal? Well, now, well, the problem was Are you now, that what well, I. For me, the problem is that Boy Scouts, you know, scam their way into Girl Scouts. That's my problem. Oh, okay. That's my problem. And they brought all their baggage with them because we didn't have that baggage. And so the claim was, oh, well, they're doing so many more adventures than the Girl Scouts could could do. So we're going to bring them something. You didn't bring us anything. Stay out of <laughs> <So laughs> it. <laughs> I, I was not a Girl Scout, but I was a brownie. And you put all the pins on you your
2: little outfit. Jeans. I was a brownie. Absolutely. Yes. You're in your wow. flag. Yeah, yeah. you
10: know, so, so, for example, for Girl Scouts today, there are STEM classes. The you, I, know that. You know, you I do, do know You do service projects for people, You know, all of that kind of stuff. It's and they had very trouble important. getting leaders right? Uh, yeah, well, you know, for all... People are working now. What's the guy at Harvard, you know, you've had him on for many times, Bowling Along guy? Oh, oh Bob Putnam, yes. Robert Putnam. Well, he would argue with you that in general, you know, there's, it's not just the Girl Scouts, there's trouble in these community organizations because yeah. people aren't supporting them as they used to. Um, and so that's always, I'm always uh, proud of those people that step up, those parents or those community leaders. Some people were not parents, but they stepped up to to, to do the hard work. And it is hard, you know, wrangling all us little people who are going yeah. in various directions.
2: Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? And I was very proud. Um, you are friendly with his daughter, the Cambridge, the Cambridge Bank people, the people of the bank, Century Bank. Yeah. He was a big deal in the Boy Scouts. Marshall Sloan. Yeah. Marshall Sloan. The I great, remember going over Marshall Marshall to his uh, apartment in Chestnut Hill, and yeah. on the wall was all, were all these awards he'd gotten from the Boy Scouts. Yeah. And he had to be well into his 80s then, and he flew to Texas to testify on behalf of gay rights and the Boy Scouts. And I thought that was wonderful because there was a big brouhaha about that, remember? Uh, Gay gay Scouts being ostracized and something like that. And I thought, look at this guy, 85. Uh, was so yeah. proud of his service
10: in the Boy Scouts. I mean, when, Scouts. when done well, it's really well. You know, guess who was in my class of distinguished who? honorees? Joanne Chang. Really? Yeah! Joanne Chang? Joanne Chang. From yes. Myers and Chang? That's correct. Girl Scout, yes, that's right. There you go. So why <laughs> there you go. You,
1: why didn't you graduate from the Brownies?
2: I don't remember. Something happened. I got in trouble for something. I, I don't know what happened. I, I, I never made it. I didn't fly up. That's what you did, right? You, fl- you, fl- you, you would fly up for the brownies for the Girl Scouts, and I crash-landed. So, uh, uh,
1: the only oh reason... God. the only well, Actually, you and Sue O'Connell and Marjorie are the only people of any interest... In the Royals. Oh, well. And, and that's I, not true.
6: No,
2: I'm that's talking about
1: true. amongst the four of us. Because oh.
2: he's a, he was on the bestseller list, The Spare. Yeah, oh, he's on the bestseller for weeks. He might even be on the this Who else Sunday. is on the yes. bestseller
1: list? Number one yeah, nonfiction DeSantis. this week? Ron DeSantis. Yeah, but I'm Bigger suspicious of than that. than Barack Obama's Well, you know why? Because a lot of
2: these conventions, these, these gatherings, of these politicians, of they buy books. B- yeah. books in bulk. Hundreds and thousands of books. I think it's a bogus number. Okay, so Harry and
1: Meghan get evicted from some house that they're not living in anyway. (laughs) Frogmore. Why is that a big deal exactly? By their father, by his father.
10: Well, yeah, I guess so, because it happened really after... The queen was still alive when they got kicked out, right? I'm, I'm not sure. So. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think it's right. when the
1: book came out. Right. And he was okay. detailing private yeah. conversations yeah. with All right. his father he got and the brother. the boot. All right. I can't believe I know that. Too. But he doesn't
2: live there because it's yeah. only his place to visit when he goes back. Okay. Maybe right. like He's for
1: the coronation. and right may well, he may, go is, in may. Coronation.
10: But there was a whole lot of brouhaha because remember they had it renovated and people thought they were spending too um, much money. royal money yep. to renovate it. Anyway, they kicked him out of there, but they're bringing him into the Buckingham Palace to stay. So when they come to visit... As is expected, they will come for the coronation. They'll stay in Buckingham Palace. That's and right. And they're in a suite of rooms that Prince Andrew used to stay in, but he got kicked out of Buckingham Palace.
1: As for Jeffrey yes. Epstein reasons.
2: Exactly. Yes. Yes. Exactly. It so it him with that very young looking woman that did not go well for She was him. a minor. Yeah. She wasn't yeah. a young looking That's woman. right. She I'm was sorry, she was a minor. Yeah.
1: You
10: are correct. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so, uh, uh, Wait a second. But they haven't even been invited to the coronation. Is that correct? Well,
10: I think they are. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. The question is, are they attending? So I would assume... They have been invited. The oh. question is whether or not they're attending. Well, the, Sussexes, they yes. you know, are you're, the Sussexes. They Who are the Sussexes? That's who they are. Oh, their oh. oh, That's, our, that's their name. It's Harry
2: Sussex. and Meghan? You know, you're going to go yes. wild because we're going to have coronation morning, morning, <laughs> morning, night for like three days. So we have all these pictures of, of, of Charles and yeah. Diana and then the, the controversy
10: about the wife and it's going to go wild. I think that the latest news is that their kids are now formally That's right. prince and princess. But why did they... I don't get that. Because Charles had to... Because they couldn't do it while the queen was alive. But the minute that Charles becomes king, then the then his kids' kids but get the title. But if
1: Harry and Meghan want nothing to do with the royal family... But not have anything to do with their kids. Well, what, the what the, the kids just are a they're part, innocent, of, they're a part of the lineage. So Archie, oh, is that the kid's name? He's yes. a prince he is and what's a prince the other ones? And
10: Lilibet Diana is a, princess. is a princess. princess. And, they, right. and they hadn't originally used those titles. In fact, they had said we're probably not going to use those titles. But now when, when uh, it became clear that you know uh, Charles was going to be king, now they're using the titles. Hmm. Did you read they had
2: 775 rooms in Buckingham Palace? Yes. That is one Big place, I would yeah. say. Correct. Well,
10: I mean, you know, I've stayed at Windsor Castle. And you, have? you have? Yes. I've oh. told you all this. No, no you, you have haven't. <laughs> yes. No, you haven't. How did you get to stay at Windsor all Castle? All the brownies
1: <laughs> were staying there, and then the Girl Scouts—they all got to stay at Windsor Castle. Not
10: in the pl- not in the part where the Queen was, because it's huge, you know. So there's a part where you know their groups can stay and conferences or whatever. I, didn't so know I was that. Yes, I was in a. I was you now. You'll love the title of this because everybody who was with me in the session. Understands, I struggle around this. It was a session about forgiveness.
2: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not, Let's not just say you. that at the end
10: of it, I didn't come out.
2: <laughs> so, so, so was it spectacular and yeah, elegant? Yeah, yeah,
10: because you know, all the food, everything is grown right there. It's all you know. Wow. And what was really great, the most, the, the best experience, is when people would come to visit Windsor Castle and they would close the gates at you know, the end of the day because it's time for visitors to go away, and we'd be inside. So i just like to be inside watching all the, <laughs> <laughs> can win, the so, people outside. Well, I, the
1: rumor I had heard is when you stayed at Windsor Castle in those days – when you were paying your room fee, you wrote the check directly out to Queen Elizabeth. Is that... Is that I didn't have so anything to do with cash writing it directly. the check.
10: It was very lovely. A lot of fun. And the food was delicious. Yeah, I'd like yeah. to go to get yeah. invited to Windsor Castle for a weekend to discuss forgiveness. <laughs> yes. Or to discuss anything, for that matter. Yes. What the heck? Yeah, it was really interesting. Is it know. hard to swing the Windsor Castle digs? Well... It- Came with the with the discussion group. So. That is great. Yeah. So it was, we're doing it was a twice. remote
1: broadcast from there during the coronation. <laughs> okay. When I, is the coronation, by The, the way? coronation is in May. I think in it's May. May 6th or something yeah. like that. Yes. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's pretty. I have to say, I was very happy that when um, when uh, Diana, when Harry and Meghan got married, Meghan's mother stayed at Clifton, which was when I was in college and did the junior year abroad. That's hmm. where we lived. In Clifton on the Thames, and the bathroom was so big in this in this castle that you could fit probably ten people in there, wow. and the bedroom was so big that we had six women or girls co-eds, oh, we yes. were coeds wherever you were, six wow. people in that in that room. It was like yeah, the they high point. They don't live small. They do not live small. They do not live small. No, no. and and mm-hmm. all the um, the drapery mm-hmm. and the and the uh, the armored the guys in suits of armor. Do you to or you're not? I mean, this is unbelievable. It, <laughs> it really was wonderful. And they had beautiful gardens, and you look out on the Thames,
1: yeah.
10: and then it would stay light until 11 o'clock at night. Well, we That's went. where the perfumo affair was, that big scandal. We went over to it. look at the, the Queen's horses, all of that, the whole stables. The that was that good. Yeah. Very, they I were mean, good? Yeah. I mean, you know, she's really into it. Yeah. So it She's a great horseback, right? Yeah. yeah. Who is? The
2: Queen Elizabeth. She's no longer, she's no longer with longer us. With yeah, so. But she was at the time. Remember the movie The Queen with Helen Mirren? We got into a lot of her horseback riding, and yeah. they were out in the in the in the country cottage.
10: Yeah, well, that's what Windsor, you know. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Get considered So, can we do it. a
1: weekly bit leading up to <laughs> no, the no. what's it called the coronation? <laughs> yeah. If we do a weekly the thing updating yeah. people, I don't know. It, I, I can't on. explain it.
2: I probably shouldn't be interested, but I can't
10: help it. I am. I've I not think, read the book. I have not read the book. How's um, book. Have do you, you? I don't know if you all know that South Park has done this sort of oh devastating. Oh my God.
1: They the eviscerated the yes. two of them. Yes. They, the basic theme was, How dare you pay attention to us on our privacy tour? Right. Is that not
10: the thing? <laughs> and they renamed his book that's, that we know as Despair uh, as Wah. <laughs> no. Yeah. It
2: was well, really he probably, funny. interesting. Yeah. He probably shouldn't have done it. But it's okay. What are you doing on the radio? Um,
1: Or anywhere, for that matter.
10: Oh, okay. Or Basic Black. you never tell us about Basic Black? tell us something. Why don't you tell us about both? Okay, hold on. First of all, Basic Black is in Pledge, so calm down. You and and Jared. (laughs) okay. Both in Pledge. All right. But for Under the Radar, um, we're doing a pop culture segment um, with my um, folks from Wellesley College and from uh, UMass Boston to talk about a Oscars, uh, about the studio that a lot of people don't know about, a 24 that's a studio that has funded and backed um, uh, everything everywhere all at once. Oh, and I didn't know and Moonlight. Was. They're very stealthy. They're just like under the radar for so sure. Sweet, yeah. um, and so it's a really interesting thing. And they just bought the Cherry Lane Theater in New York. Huh. You know, and oh. they're just really expanding their thing. So they're very interesting. Uh, so we're talking about all of that uh, going on there Rihanna and, and her singing and whatever happens at the whether Oscar's so white or less white now. And but I'm really excited about I'm excited about that part. But I'm really excited about the second part because, as you know, the Oscars will be on Sunday. Yeah. So I brought back my um, Asian film contributors who are themselves Asian. That's uh, Elena Kraft from Wellesley College who specializes in um, photography and uh, media and women's and gender studies. And then Jenny Korn, who is the founder of the uh, race and tech um, portion of. Part of the uh, Berkman Internet and Society for for the Internet and the Society at Harvard. Oh my, and so solar the two there,
1: Berkman Klein yes, Center. Yes, yes,
10: the Berkman Klein Center. So she's so the two of them have come. We've been coming together talking about whether or not the impact of these images, positive images from Crazy Rich Asians, as you know, mm-hmm. was quite some time ago, would ever lead to something bigger than that. Um, and so we're we're calling this. Everything, everywhere, all at, much, all at once with those nominations, the, the historical nature of them, um, and just a general uh, recognizing of more visibility of this talented group of people. They've been there the whole time. They just couldn't get any work and what that means. And uh, it's a great conversation.
1: Fabulous. Great mm-hmm. night for it, too. Kelly, great yeah. to okay, see you well. thank you so much. Thank, thank you very you. much. Thank
2: you. Go spare. We've been speaking with Callie Crossy, host of Under the Radar with Callie Crossy, which you can catch Sunday nights right we here. We should do a
1: countdown. How many days till the coronation?
2: I think it's less than two months, Jim. Oh, Time God. to start getting that's ready. Good. Plan Soon your knows. strategy. Sue <laughs> Colin
1: knows how many days.
11: Okay. Sadly. Uh,
2: cat, uh, Under the Radar with Callie Crossy, Sunday nights, 8.30. Oh, 6 o'clock at 89.7. 6 o'clock, that's right. And Basic Black is on pledge. You don't have to worry about that. Don't anyway, to worry about that. <laughs> a new study found that the pandemic and a whole lot of parents... Misled, you might say, lied uh, to other adults about just how sick their kids were, that they had COVID and they didn't tell. NYU medical ethicist Art Kaplan would join us for that story and more. You listen to Boston Public Radio 897 GBH, broadcasting live from the Boston Public Library and streaming at facebook.com GBH News.
1: Boston Public Radio, Jim Browning, Marjorie, and we're live at the Boston Public Library, streaming at facebook.com slash gbhnews. Our next day at the library is Tuesday. We'll be joined for an hour by Michelle Wu for Ask the Mayor. That's next Tuesday, the 14th. We're joined now on Zoom by medical ethicist Art Kaplan, artist and doctors William and Virginia Connolly, mini-professor and founding head of the Division of Medical Ethics at NYU School of Medicine in New York City. Hello, Art Kaplan. Hello, hello. Hello to you. Great to see
2: you and talk to you as always, Art Kaplan. We spoke earlier in the show um, uh, uh, about the medical tourism that's gone on in Mexico, which is highlighted in this tragic situation where four people went there uh, to help a woman that was a driver where she wanted to get cosmetic surgery. Two were killed, not the woman, uh, but two of the men in the company who were killed. The third man was shot. And apparently there's lots of Americans that go... To Mexico for dental care, for cosmetic surgery, even for heart surgery. So is there an ethical issue involved here in this kind of tourism?
11: Yeah, there really is, Marjorie. The um, fact is that Mexico, and actually Costa Rica, some other places to the south, Colombia used to be a destination too, are cheaper, far cheaper. And we, you know, have talked many times about the high prices of American health care. So people are going there, one reason, is just to get low-cost care. I have to tell you, my experience in talking to people who've done it is that the quality of care is all over the place. Can be okay, but often it isn't. Uh, I've talked to people who went there for cosmetic surgery, came back with disastrously horrible results, And by the way, when you come back, it makes it hard to care for you because people here don't know what they did to you there. Oh, yeah. The follow-up gets to be tricky. The other business is, you know, there's all kinds of cuckoo uh, things being offered. Stem cells for kids with autism, stem cells for treating depression and on and on, unproven, probably just quackery in the extreme, but desperate people show up and say, well, I couldn't get this from doctors in the U.S., but there's a clinic in Mexico that will give me this. Again, really bad reason to go there. I know people want to pursue all the options, but just being impoverished by quacks is not the way to deal with a terminal illness. You know,
1: Art, I, I, when Dr. Catherine Gerger Barnett was here, I asked her a question about what would she say to a patient who couldn't afford, forget cosmetic stuff, take that off the table, uh, a, a more serious uh, a, healthcare that they needed, they couldn't afford in the United States, it was affordable in uh, Mexico, would she refer them? And I really didn't ask the question the way I should have. The way I should have is the way I'll try to ask you, does a doctor who has a patient sitting in front of them, who, where the patient says, I can't afford the care you tell me I need, does the doctor have an obligation to say to them, it's provided at a lower cost and you should do your research? at a lower cost in X, wherever it is, let's just pick Mexico, or is there no such obligation?
11: I don't think there is. I think the quality of care slips. I'm not convinced that by the time you pay all the travel and the housing and the whatever, you're not sinking some significant resources. I'd rather say, hey, let's see if we can bring this to the attention of your state legislator. Let's see if the news uh, media might take an interest in your plight. Um, there's crowdsourcing that might be done. There's sometimes fundraising assistance that some groups in your community may provide. I don't know about recommending Mexico. I'm, I'm leery. You know,
1: by the way, before we leave this, for people who know very little about medical tourism other than this horror show, of last week. I think the story we read in the New York Times, the Washington Post said there are more than one million yeah. Americans yeah. who've yep. sought some kind of care in the last year. A million people have gone to Mexico alone. There are other yep. jurisdictions where they might go for medical tourism reasons as well. We're talking to Art Kaplan.
11: Hey, by the way, it occasionally is pronounced that we have the finest health care system in the world. You you both have heard that, I think. Yes, we have both heard that. And it's fine if you can get into it and afford it. It's not so fine if you have to go cross-border or mortgage your house or get into medical debt. Or can't get an appointment. Can't get an appointment. You can see all the the real signs that the system is not adequate and is uh, not serving all of the American people, which it ought to do.
2: So Art Kaplan, uh, and we are talking to our Kaplan, obviously, i a medical ethicist. Uh, John That's Fetter- why you said our Kaplan, That's right. I think. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I wanted to see if you were catching, paying I, I'm attention. paying attention, yes. Uh, John Fetterman, he's a new senator from Pennsylvania. He suffered a stroke during the campaign. There was a lot of controversy about his uh, ability to speak and his ability to uh, answer questions. Remember the debate he had with mm-hmm. Memonaz, his opponent who lost. Apparently, he is suffering from something which is not unusual after a stroke, which is severe Uh, clinical depression, um, and he's been in the hospital. He's going to be there for, I think he's going to be there for three or four weeks. At least. Dealing with his clinical depression. You talk a lot about uh, uh, having exams for people, physical Mm. and mental exams, before they run for high office. What do you think about this situation?
11: Well, you know, the Fetterman situation was getting debated before uh, he had uh, this recent hospitalization, Uh, I'm not convinced, by the way, that the depression is due to the stroke. That's been a story told, but I don't know if we know that. Maybe he's had bouts of depression unrelated to this before. It's been hinted, by the way, that that's true. Um, So I think people who run for high office, given the fact, by the way, that many of them seem to be falling over and banging their heads in different places. um, Mitch McConnell in the hospital (laughs) with a concussion. Yeah. I I think Biden was slipping upstairs again and so on. Look, uh, I think we need, and I've only said this for 20 years, an independent commission to at least evaluate people for executive office once they get nominated by their party. I think we need an independent uh, medical examination, not by the physician of the president or the physician of the senator, but by somebody who's independent. If you ask me, where does it end? Well, I deal with president, vice president, cabinet and Congress. That would be good. Does it mean, though, that any of these medical exams are going to disqualify people? No, you could still vote for them or say I'm okay with a person with a disability or a problem holding high office. It's just we're not getting honest information. It's all spun. It's all uh, clouded in mystery because all of these politicians don't want us to know really what's going on. It's that simple. By the way, and it's a bipartisan
1: thing. I mean, I think it's clear When uh, Trump was in the hospital with COVID, his doctor was cooking the books. I think that's demonstrated. And Fetterman, when he was running for office, we talked to you a lot about this. It's clear that they were not telling the whole story. And while I am sympathetic to the privacy rights of anybody, I'm particularly concerned about my own. If you decide to run for one of those offices you just enumerated where you think we have a right to some information, I, I would argue you forego most of those privacy rights, at least as relate to you, not to your family as relate to you. If you want to represent the people of your district or the United States. So I I am totally where you are.
11: If you have the power to declare war, if you get your finger on the nuclear button, I mean, these are national security issues of major importance to us all. I'd like to know a little bit about the health status, mental and physical of people in those top roles. Do I think we're going to get it? No, because the people who would have to approve right, exactly. it are the very people that were trying very hard to hide their medical information. You, you know, our capital, I thought it was
2: very interesting that one of the th- recommendations from his physicians during his so far three week stay in the hospital was to limit his exposure to cable TV, the internet, and social media. So, that I guess that says something about uh, <laughs> social media, etc.'s impact on one's mental health.
11: Well, uh, it would be interesting to s- have some examinations, perhaps, of Tucker Carlson. Or,
2: uh... <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. We're, we're talking our Kaplan, <laughs> medical ethicist.
2: Okay. So, some parents apparently lied about their kid's COVID uh, status. What a surprise. Are you surprised? <laughs> no.
11: I can answer that very simply. Okay. So no. Yep. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and and the reasons they gave, um, some of them you could understand because people, they, they might have been a single parent, someone who couldn't work, wasn't going to get paid, they didn't work, and so they couldn't afford to miss work themselves, and so they sent the kid back to school uh, prematurely. Um, but other ex- excuses that these parents gave were pretty bad. Like, I want to, this was this um, big study that was done by researchers from the United States and British universities, and some of the excuses were, well, I want to exercise my personal freedom as a parent, um, that's not a particularly good reason, I don't think, or they wanted their kid to resume <laughs> a normal life. I get that. I guess we know the kids, talking about depression, uh, suffered from anxiety and depression at the times they were out of school. But
1: one of the other reasons is because they wanted to return to a normal life. They wanted to go to work, for example. Yeah. And so the kids should be in school.
11: I, I'm yeah, I, got, I got a little uh, secret uh, solution to this. What? About a little better. Family benefits, little daycare yeah. little ability to put your kids somewhere I mean the people can't go back to work because they got three kids at home they're trying to use school as daycare, partly, and I understand they need to make a living they don't want to want to be able to feed their family. We stink at providing options to uh, single working parents and so on to help take care of their kids i i I'm not surprised they're lying. I'm a little sad that they're uh, lying and putting other kids at risk when they send them to school sick. That's really not uh, the way to treat a neighbor. But I know what's going on. We have no safety net like other countries do. I was looking at something, a chart the other day, said that, uh, you know, uh, England, France, many other countries have like a month of paid leave you can access internally. Somebody just created like... Uh, menstrual leave, uh, if you're in a lot of pain and suffering. I mean, we have nothing. So, you know, you get what you pay for. We don't pay for anything.
1: You know, by the way, Michael Moore, was it Sicko? Was that the name of the movie that did this? Michael Moore did a spectacular job years ago, maybe seven, eight, nine years ago, with a film talking about how other, particularly Western governments, care for people, particularly when you have a kid, for example, do you remember when that they were in that little boat with Michael Moore Going to trying Cuba? to get to Guantanamo? You? Yeah. So he could get into Guantanamo <laughs> so he could get medical care that he couldn't afford. We're talking to Art Kaplan. I, yeah, I
11: have to say, Jim, by the way, every once in a while when you're talking about giving advice to someone who can't afford care, every once in a while somebody commits a crime so they can get into a prison so they can get <laughs> care. I've seen it. I have, I've read about it, too. Speaking of read
1: about it, Art, I know you all have limited time today. The headline in The Globe the other day, a story by Jessica Bartlett, was a bacterial infection killed three patients at Brigham and Women's. Here's how it got in. And you can talk about this. as a water uh, issue I have to say, and I didn't have time to do the research this morning. I was mentioning this to Marjorie and Jamie. I don't recall having heard about This is 2018, by the way. Right. Four to five years ago. Was this public knowledge? Not the cause. I know the the, uh, finding of the cause is brand new. Did we know about these bacterial infection deaths?
11: I certainly didn't. I've heard about Legionnaire's disease. Remember that was getting in the water supply and filtration systems of a lot of older uh, hospitals, uh, and, by the way, other buildings, too. I didn't. know, no. And I'm not sure how you'd find out. It's not like everybody runs around saying, yeah, yeah, we got a bacterial infection inside the hospital. We, when those break out, the way we usually find out is when somebody dies from it.
1: So well, what ethical obligation, Mr. Ethics, medical ethics, is a hospital under to inform the public uh, as to certain happenings that may affect that potential patients' decision-making about seeking care.
11: Well, at a minimum, every year we ought to see statistics on infection rates, on uh, what kinds of safety issues have come up within each hospital. We get all these hospitals claiming they're number one and the best quality and the finest care, but I don't see worked into those reports and we had the fewest infections, you know, in the area.
2: Yeah, I think that what they concluded there wasn't enough chlorine. Wasn't that one of the I things? I believe that was what which, happened. Which is in the um, water
1: filtration system or something?
2: Yeah, and it took. They went through this. It was almost like a detective novel. That it, it took. It was a laborious process to find out exactly what happened to this water. Yeah, anytime request.
11: they want. Anytime they want to solve that, they can hitch up to my uh, water supply in Connecticut. It is so much chlorine in it we can't drink it. But. <laughs> You know, Art, before you go,
1: if we could uh, spend the last two minutes with you, how we started the show. We mentioned that, uh, sadly, you lost your mother at the beginning of COVID yeah. in Framingham. Uh, uh, and it, we mentioned to Dr. Catherine Gerger-Barnett that it's a three-year anniversary, obviously, this week, of the emergency declarations. The budget from the President of the United States, because he knows he can't get it through the Republican House, cut out... I think tens of billions of dollars he originally planned to include to make sure that we deal with the tail end of this pandemic well and that we're well prepared for the next next pandemic. All of that money uh, gone because, uh, again, because there aren't votes in the House. What's your, forget professional, what's your personal reaction to that?
11: Well, it's almost three years to the day that my mom died of COVID. And just to remind everybody who's watching and listening, um, she died without anybody being able to go in her room. I mean, Everyone so was terrified horrible. of catching infection. People were try- My sister was trying to talk to her through the window in her room. Oh this was in a nursing home in Framingham. And um, we have not done what we need to do to protect the vulnerable, the people who are most at risk of these diseases, COVID, flu. We still don't have mandatory masking in all these places. We still have crummy Uh, ventilation. We never upgraded. We still have too many people crowding together. Uh, We're not ready for the next pandemic and we haven't done justice. Remember, one million people died. It's as if, well, that didn't matter. Why? Because a lot of them were elderly and we wrote them off. And a lot of Republicans, I have to remind people, did say, oh, they're elderly and they're going to die anyway.
1: Well, you know, the other thing is, it's not just a million. As I mentioned this morning, I, I, I don't know why I do this, but every morning, the first thing I look at online are the COVID numbers in the New York Times. And yeah. somewhere between the middle 300s and middle 500s of people are dying every single day, which is 150,000, 175,000 people a year at the, quote, end of the pandemic. Speaking of the fact that we obviously do need to continue to Well, first, it's an
11: undercount because we don't have that many good surveillance things going on. And second, if it was airlines and they were crashing one a day, which is kind of what that number is, I think you'd see some action.
1: All right. Good to see you. We know you got to go early today. Take care of yourself. We'll talk to you next week. Art Kaplan. Thank you very much, Art Kaplan.
2: We've been speaking with our medical ethicist, Art Kaplan. He's the Doctor's William F. of Virginia Conley, many professor and founding head of the Division of Medical Ethics at NYU School of Medicine in New York City. Okay, coming up. Would the world be a better place if you could go to a Bruce Springsteen concert at noon and be home in bed by 7.30? (laughs) Well... Jamie Lee Curtis has become a crusader, her. a defiant crusader about this. And, of course, who better to ask than our media maven, Sue O'Connell. She's next on Boston Public Radio 89.7 GBH, broadcasting live from the Boston Public Library and streaming at Facebook.com GBHnews.
1: Welcome back to Boston Public Radio. Jim Browdy, Marjorie live at the Boston Public Library, streaming at Facebook.com slash GBH News. Uh, we're here every Tuesday and Friday, and next Tuesday the mayor joins us. Mayor Wu joins us, I don't know what time, but she'll be here to take questions and calls uh, on Tuesday the 14th. Right now, here to take on the social norms and abnormalities of the day is Medium aven so O'Connell. The Media Maven is the co publisher of Bay Windows and the South End News, and the Media Maven is a contributor current on NBC LX and NECN. Media Maven, Sue O'Connor, is good to see you. How good are day, you?
2: Good day, good day. To Hello, you. everyone. Good day to you. Media Maven, it's always good to see you yeah. as well. We yeah. So, the headlines are all over cable TV. Prosecutors in, in New York say that the criminal charges. Uh, against Trump, or likely very soon. You know, I'm, I'm so sick of hearing these headlines. I, know. I mean, they've been going on forever. And this is for the Stormy Daniels case that he paid. Michael Cohen gave her money because uh, she is a adult film star. This is the least um, interesting of all the cases, if you ask me. I didn't pay her because she's
1: an adult
4: film star. Yeah, yeah. I just want to yeah. stop you, though. Well, that, to have sex. No,
12: to, to say that... Not that-
4: the Cut. president
12: of the United States was accused of having an affair with an adult film star, and that's the least
2: interesting well, of all the charges that are against him. That's
1: a very good point.
2: Because I think, I think, are you surprised? No, I'm, I, mean, I, I mean, tax evasion... We should be clear,
1: this is paying her to shut up. To, to just shut up, yeah. a, potentially and an illegal campaign contribution. Right, with the right. money
12: that he he washed through... Um, Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen's uh, law firm. That's so correct. there's also, you know, lawyers aren't supposed to do that. They're not supposed to, you know, clean money for you in a, in a way. I mean, it, I, I, I'm with you on this, Marjorie. It's like, I, you see these headlines, like, oh, it's going to be a criminal charge, and then you read deeper, and they're like, well, the charge doesn't mean... They're necessarily going to be able to prove it. And then if they prove it, to your, your point, though, it is sort of the least important, if you will, yes. of the charges that would be against him. And then you think, well, is this going to be like an Al Capone situation where he finally gets charged – Trump gets charged for something, and it's basically for you know, hiding a payment – which is wrong and is illegal and should be punished. But when all is said and done, is that what the charge is going to well, be? Well, you know what the so. other
1: problem? I, I am totally with you. I mean, a, a guy who, in my estimation, after having followed this pretty closely, should be uh, charged by uh, Jack Smith. Mm-hmm. He, uh, well, he can't charge. Jack Smith recommending recommended to the Attorney yeah. General that he charge him for uh, attempting a, an insurrection, not to mention Marlar and everything else. It troubles me not only because it's minor by comparison, not that it's minor, but it's minor right. by comparison. Two, I didn't understand how, how unused this legal approach is. It's right. a combination of state and federal law. We're not going to give you a headache with it because it gives me a headache. It's a long-shot deal. And, you know, I asked Nancy uh, um, uh, gurdner the uh, former federal judge, this couple of weeks ago, when a district attorney on a county level, Fulton County in Georgia is looking at criminal charges. That one's a real serious one. That one is a serious one. About attempting to buy those 11,000 election, right. votes in an election in Georgia. An attorney in Manhattan uh, in New York City, a district attorney, and a, uh, an attorney general are all contemplating bringing criminal charges against an individual. Do they all talk to each other and say strategically, this is the order in which mm-hmm. we should go, because my fear is that egos get in the way. I want to be first. I, right. Alvin Bragg, was criticized by two – he's the Manhattan DA – by two lawyers in my office who quit because right. I refused to bring criminal charges against the president for inflating his assets to get loans and deflating his assets when it came to paying mm-hmm. taxes. Is he saying, well, i got to fix my reputation – so I'm going to plow ahead. what And say? then the American... I don't remember what she said, so I shouldn't have brought up. Sorry you asked.
12: I'm hanging but on that. i Whatever for the, the hell now. she
1: said, I'm hoping there's coordination so that the prosecutors say, let's go with the most serious charge that has the greatest likelihood... Well, they haven't. ...of leading... Well, you don't know that. He well, hasn't filed these charges the, yet. the charges. Yet. Yet, yeah, the only we,
2: any moment now. No,
1: no, no. The only reason we know that this is imminent, theoretically, mm-hmm. is because they have invited the likely... Indictee Donald correct. Trump to testify. to testify before the grand jury, yeah. and every legal expert I'm not saying I am one, believe me says you don't do that until you're ready to go public with a charge against that individual. Right. That's what
2: leads me to believe they're going to start with the hush money for the right. porn star. Well,
1: we don't know. We in don't any know. case, but that's the I would
12: also like to point out she is indeed. I know people always say anyone in the adult entertainment business is a star. She is indeed a star. She,
1: she is, a star. is a hot she is a ticket. Star. Okay. What I, did she I, I say when I first saw star. oh her talk is, show? She should have a talk she show. Should. She, she is. is it's very clever, very yeah, clever. funny.
2: I saw her on uh, was it Jimmy Kimmel that mm-hmm. where she had all those mushrooms. Yep, remember that? Yeah, I don't. Want, I, look, we better not go in into that. that.
12: You
1: you remember when that, she tweeted in response to one of his critical tweets? She referred him as tiny. Yeah, that's, yeah. All, that's all I needed to hear. made my go. day.
12: He you calls, know, speaking, he calls her horse face, and that's the best he can do. Yeah, so there yeah. you yeah. go. Speaking
1: yeah. of uh, of uh, Donald Trump's troubles, the other thing, Jenna Ellis is one of yeah. his lawyers, and I use the term advisedly. Apparently, I'm not sure if I read this right, in an attempt to keep her law license, which it appears they're going to allow her to do, she has agree- admitted that she made up, for example, on November 20, 2020, it's from the New York Times, Ms. Ellis appeared on Maria Bartiramos. Is that what you saying? Bartiramos. I, I, I don't want to on say Fox her name business, Describing the evidence that Mr. Trump's legal team had collected to support their claims of fraud. We have affidavits, she said, from witnesses. We have voter intimidation. She admits she made that all up. Not only is she admitting to 10 incidents like that where she lied to the American people and to courts, other jurisdictions about this, she apparently is going to keep her law license, and after she signed some documents saying, I did these things, she's putting out public statements saying... I really didn't do these things. Yeah, it's outrageous.
12: So unlike you, Jim, who has a law degree and was a sort lawyer, of, uh, sort and of, unlike yeah. Kim Kardashian, who She's you know, passed the bar. She did. Yeah, she did because she did that uh, reading law. Oh, like, that, like Abe yeah, Lincoln yeah. did. So she passed the bar.
1: She, I think. Well, um, I think of Abe Lincoln, yeah. I think of Yeah, we think of Kim
12: Kardashian and yeah. Abe Lincoln. My daughter uh, has been taking uh, two law classes at Bunker Hill Community oh, College. Oh, for her. And I, you know, she's got a disability, so I've been helping her by reading to her. So yeah. I have de facto audited two paralegal courses. So oh my I just God. Wanna, so you're ready out there. to go, I'm, I'm too. All right. Expert. I'm an expert. Don't
2: mess with the media maven.
12: And the emphasis on the ethical actions that lawyers and paralegals should should do, as you know, that – There's every single end of every single chapter talks about how ethical you have to be, how you don't, if you're a paralegal, you don't sign anything. You know, sometimes lawyers will try and do things quickly, but you have to really stick to the law. So if you recall, when she was out, this Jenna person was out making these statements, you didn't have to be an auditor of a paralegal course at a community college like me. To know that she was lying because we had the facts of what mm-hmm. was happening. So I don't know what, and we have said during this whole Trump experience that these lawyers were going to get in trouble, right? We have been saying that all along. Whenever one of them has advised him or come out, especially around the election stuff, but it just doesn't seem to be happening. and but, you I know don't the problem why. here:
1: these are not just lies uh, to uh, uh, under oath. These are lies which undermine democracy yeah, yes, they're big, and big the lies. woman's gonna be able to continue and she's to practice. Have a book law. Deal.
12: She'll probably have a tea once they fire
1: everybody at Fox, she'll probably have her own show. It's really, it's totally outrageous Do you remember we've said this in the air a million times Sydney Powell, who's the yes. most egregious of this whole group, in an attempt to keep her law license, I think in Michigan, I hope I got this right. I know I have the testimony right, her lawyer's representation, the defense of Sydney Powell by her lawyer was no one believed, no one believed what she, she said she, she anyway. She didn't
12: believe it. She didn't believe it, and no one believed what she was saying. So that's, that's her defense. The defense. Yeah, so I don't understand it.
1: In any case, we're talking to constitutional law expert uh, <laughs> and media maven Sue O'Connell.
2: So RuPaul, who's famous for RuPaul's Drag Race yes. and other things, has uh, come out to defend or in horror over all these anti-drag bill races, those who prevent um, drag queen shows for libraries around the country where uh, drag queens get all dressed up and read books. So, what, uh, what Boy, was-
1: people, let's play a sound from oh. it. They, that RuPaul is so good on this. Mm-hmm. This is on social media, addressing a spike in hate and prejudice towards drag queens and transgender people living in the U.S. Here's RuPaul.
10: They think our love, our light, our laughter, and our joy
1: are signs of weakness, but they're wrong because that is our strength. Drag queens are the marines of the queer movement. Law, yeah. Don't get it twisted, and don't be distracted. Register to vote so we can get these stunt queens out of office and put some smart people with real solutions into government. I just want to
12: interpret that being called a stunt queen is an insult. It is. It's it's an insult. That means you don't have any real talent as a drag queen. You've just got some kind of stunt like a good cartwheel or split that you do. Listen, (laughs) I have been on the other side of drag queens being mad at me. Why? It's a long story, but, you know, we used to have at Big Windows this out-at-night magazine, and then we went to Jacques before all the straight wedding parties and uh, bridal parties invaded it, and we did a photo shoot with some of the the, the great stars of Jacques, Mm -hmm. the great drag bar, and apparently someone had promised them final... Approval, approval of the photo? And, um, which we usually wouldn't do, and the it ran without their approval. And for a good six months, I was the target of a number of onstage uh, <laughs> from the drag queens. So oh, you no. don't want to be on the wrong side <laughs> of drag queens. Were you
1: a stunt queen, according I, to them? I, or? I
12: can't even tell you what, I what they said, but I, I deserved it, so it was okay. But to RuPaul's point, you know, besides the fact that there are a million other ways that we... Uh, we in dangerous ways that we expose children to sexualized content on a regular basis and drag queens are the least even the worst thing that you may have seen on the internet is the least i've seen some people post things from gun shows where you've got women holding guns with um, thongs on and pasties and little kids posing with them that's okay apparently i mean they're not even reading to them they're just standing there with a gun So So to be um, a drag queen um, and to to be that kind of performer takes an enormous amount of of courage to do, in any circumstance, even before we were targeting drag queens. And now, I mean, you think about the idea of the drag queens being the soldiers on this war. Who is fighting the Nazis right now? The drag queens are fighting the Nazis. By the way, literally, you should... I mean, JP, that happened. Yep, the Nazis, these Nazi groups are showing up all around the country to these libraries where drag queens are having drag story hour, and the drag queens are showing up and doing this, just reading Dr. Seuss to these kids. So... You know, if you could tell my late dad, who fought in World War II, that the future, the Nazis are going to be back, and it's you know the corporal clingers of the world who are going to be fighting them, I think he would probably
2: believe me. You it. know, Renee Graham, we're going to have her on, on Monday yep. at Great Cons to the Boston Globe. She talked about how the, the first, I think she said one of the first drag queens she ever saw was Geraldine on the Flip yes. Wilson show. Yeah. No. It's it, true. Nobody, yep. it, nobody made a, a fuss. Milton Berle. I grew
13: up. Oh, that's you know, right. You know, actually, I,
12: I, I, we grew Uncle up. Uncle Milty. We grew up watching um, Renee and I kind of all the same TV shows. We communicate a lot on social media mm-hmm. around television shows. You know, uh, Flip Wilson, Milton Berle. Um, my parents loved the, you know, the the Tony Curtis and um, uh, some like it hot. Some like it hot. I mean, drag has been a part of our entertainment mainstream. Forever, yeah. right? And, you know, you can make the argument that it is sexualized in some way because you are actually taking elements of some other gender and, and, and um, putting it on. But, you know, Bosom Buddies with Tom Hanks, that was another great uh, TV show. It's, they just need to relax.
1: By the way, they, uh, Jamie just sent me this great thing. This is drag queen Bianca Del Rio. I don't know if we can get oh, it yeah, on the screen for yep. people here. Uh, the, 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 the graphic says uh, banning drag queens won't work. The only thing that will stop a bad guy in a dress is a good guy in a dress. (laughs) So that is – you know, uh, I don't know who we talked to about this yesterday, but uh, I am – oh, Chuck Todd. I am really worried that the Republicans are so well organized Mm -hmm. and they have so focused in almost every level of government on the most vulnerable people in our society, trans people and drag queens, that – I, I worried yesterday with Chuck that Democrats were going to capitulate. I also worry that Democrats are going to engage. Right. Because then this becomes the, the culture war right. issue. And I don't even know what the hell – I mean, the, the morally principled thing to do, of course, is to defend these people mm-hmm. who are being attacked gratuitously and idiotically right. and viciously and sadistically well, by the Republicans. Well, not making it the main issue, which right, is a difficult thing to do. How do you how do, do? do, you do I that? Know. I don't know. It's a real well, I think that the abortion
2: issue is going to supersede everything. I hope you're right. And yeah. that um, I think Republicans are realizing that they're on the wrong side on that one, backing down. I mean, you, you wouldn't know it by the bills that are going on, the horrors going around around the state. But I think when it comes to Election Day, there's going to be uh, some reorganizing of one's right, website. Right, but does that
12: mean that they then move to this as something they think they can,
1: they can win on? That's well, that's a very good point. So, Sue, we yes. said on this show, mm-hmm. I'd say 500 times, uh-huh. How do Kellyanne Conway and what's his name? George again? Conway. George Con- How do they live together? With oh, well. Four children. So, how do they, they don't. live together? They, they don't. don't. They're it's getting divorced. All They're over.
12: near the end of their amicable divorce, according to the New York Post mm-hmm. and other reporters. As you may know, Kellyanne was uh, Trump's uh, campaign manager yeah. and yes, then worked was. in the White House with him. And George actually. Uh, was a Trump supporter up until Trump took office. I don't know what he thought was going to happen. I think maybe he thought after he was going to lose what and they were going to What was the win. thing
1: that caused him to have the change of heart? Yeah, it's unclear. I don't, I was trying he supported to, him in he 2016. Supported him up, yeah. I
12: honestly think that he didn't think he was going to win. I think that George well. Conway thought that this was going to be a great launching uh, uh, a place for, for Kellyanne to start her business and have this high-profile job, and it was going to be great for their family. He actually pulled back from his law firm so that Kellyanne could manage the campaign. And I don't know if you remember, but after the last debate with Clinton and, um, and Trump... Uh, I on MSNBC, someone asked Kellyanne Conway, what are you going to do after Election Day? She goes, oh, I'm just going away. I'm going on vacation. And then they came back to her and said, are you saying you think he's going to lose? So I think that George Conway thought he was going to lose, and they were just going to coast off of their great you know, work that they did just raising Trump. And, and once – Trump got in office, and it became clear to a lot of those Republicans and never-Trumpers who changed at the end that there was no pivot, (laughs) like he wasn't going to get presidential. I think that's when uh, George actually got nervous and concerned about the country, and I think he was right. But clearly they've had uh, um, issues in their marriages, a story um, that uh, Ivanka Trump had given them. Kept giving them of notes. Therapists. Of, of therapists. Of yeah. therapists. Um, certainly she and her husband, Jared, must go to a lot of therapists. So, <laughs> so. let me... Uh, Not you know, that, that... I mean, every, we should all go to therapists. For so listeners of a
1: certain age, during the Clinton years, yeah. there was a comparable thing. And we interviewed them both on the show. We had J- James Carville, who obviously a key advisor to Clinton, and his wife, Mary Matlin, who had worked for Dick Cheney, who was a prime spokesperson for... Republicans. For the Republicans. For Bush. The Republicans yeah. for Bush, in this case. Yeah. And they were, in my estimation much more creative, much more entertaining, Mm -hmm. much more... Well, she was a normal Republican. Yeah, it was about ideology, too. But why did that... I mean, they're great. Because
12: I think it was... I think they both had a... They were both... Uh, equals, I think, in terms of, of were, yeah. their status in in their parties and in their jobs. Right? They were both super, super smart. Super right. Smart. Both of them. Don't highly forget, smart. it
2: wasn't b- before Trump. A lot of us had uh, families where you know half the right. people were Democrats, half the people were
12: Republicans. Right.
1: It wasn't
2: vicious. Your neighbors. Like yeah, it wasn't vicious. I mean, Charlie yeah. Baker always talks about how he grew up in a house where I think his mother was a Democrat, mother his father was a, Democrat, was a Republican, yeah. or maybe it's the other way around. No, his
1: father was a, worked for Reagan. Yeah,
2: yeah, it wasn't unusual. This is a new thing and and you know you have you probably know i certainly do a lot of so-called normal republicans who are low small government yep. uh, low tax kind of people they have different economic ideas yep. but i think um,
12: that i just don't think it was vicious i don't think that um you know you could there were always concerns about presidents and what they were going to do but i don't think that anyone thought that either one of them was going to ruin the democracy and i think that's that's what happened. And I think, you know, there were people who thought at any moment Kellyanne was going to leave Trump, and she never did. She just ended up leaving her husband. Well, well she the was an alternate fat kid on Instagram yeah, every day. That's a complicated issue. Oh, I don't so Let's I don't want to talk about that. that. Okay, fine. Okay. okay.
6: So
2: uh, we have some parent. sound. Good parent that I am. Look Good parent that, that you huh? are. Yeah. That's right. We have some sound of this, too. I love this. But I saw Jamie Lee Curtis uh, challenging uh, all the artists like Coldplay and Bruce Springsteen. We have the sound, Jim. I don't have it in front oh, of us. Oh, we so. do
1: right here. And by the way, she's nominated for an Academy Award and is believed to be the front runner for that. Uh, uh, and I, what it says is, an icon of the early to bed crowd, here she is, that'd be Jamie Lee Curtis, on the red carpet taunting Bruce Springsteen <laughs> to do a matinee show. Here it is.
8: What about a 12 noon concert, Coldplay? What about it? Bruce Springsteen, do a f***ing matinee. You're old. You're old. Why wouldn't you let me come see you, Bruce Springsteen, in your glory days? Pun intended. Um, and... Do it at noon or one o'clock, two o'clock, two o'clock matinee theater in New York, two o'clock. I will come and hear your five-hour concert, Bruce, at two o'clock, and I'm going to be home and in bed by seven thirty. You know, I we agree. were
1: talking about this. She's sixty-four. Yeah. We were talking about this with Jamie this morning, the three of us, and Aiden, and we were talking about, you know, uh, she's getting older. But it's not just for but op- Young parents yeah. would love a concert Absolutely. at noon on a weekend yeah. as opposed to... Well, we to- have
12: theater matinees. There are all sorts yes. of... we, You know, there are movie matinees that we go to. I mean, first of all, Jamie Lee Curtis is totally enjoying this moment that she's having I as agree. a nominee for this film, which she is brilliant which in. Which film? Uh, everything, Every- Everywhere, Oh, that time, one. Oh, that's, that's, a yes, that's a, the front runner, isn't it? Yeah, yes, it's, it is. It's brilliant. And uh, she's brilliant in it. And she's also coming off... This success on the Halloween franchise, which she went back into and really reinvigorated it. Uh, And she has been on so many um, interview shows and awards carpets saying things like, well, Tom Cruise, I never knew him before. I know him now. I said, hey, let's do a movie. She's producing now. You know, she is finally um, in this moment where she is... Uh, enjoying life to the fullest, but I totally agree. I mean, I was telling Jamie, <laughs> I'm d- I'm hosting these live shows for the uh, the free. Uh, oh, we were the, ask you yeah, about the Free next, State so go ahead, Project. Yeah. But usually I'm up at 4 a.m. and I do the morning show. You know, take a nap and I go to bed at eight. And now I'm on the air at 7:30 at night. And I've, it's it's like a two week gig, and I feel like I'm dying because it's so late. You know, we so. want to
1: talk about the Free State thing you're doing <laughs> yep. in a second, the watch party. But just one. Did you
2: see the, the picture only- on the screen?
1: No. Oh, yes. yeah.
2: Of Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump? No. Rudy Giuliani's in drag?
1: Is yeah, that real yeah. or is that No, that's real.
12: They did a drag. They, uh, everybody yeah. has been in drag. I don't know why even, you know, I don't know why everybody's freaking out. You know what I love, them. by the
1: way, I love when you and I talk about things that only we can see. <laughs> well, I, I was when hoping people you could explain it, but I could can. It's a it.
2: picture of Donald Trump looking at Rudy Giuliani who's looking quite fetching in a blonde Marilyn yeah, Monroe type a New York, type wig. They did the best a Rudy's thing. ever looked. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, that was a drag queen themed comedy sketch yeah. Yeah. The problem Rudy with Giuliani Jamie Lee Curtis
1: we went through this in great detail this morning with the one o'clock shows is one, one, you want to drink it's or drinking get high, and the drugs. And it's hard to do that in the middle of the day. And two, feel Well, if you to bed at five, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but wait a second. Getting out of a cold play thing or yep. Bruce Springsteen as it's daylight up. still yep. is it a is. problem. Yep. Okay, so explain what the Free State. We had Allison. Yep. What's the name of the photo? Uh, uh,
12: Shira and Dan.
1: Well, Dan wasn't here, but yeah, Shira, Shira Springer, was here. Yep. They were both great. Talk. Explain who the Free Staters are and explain what you're doing.
12: So the Free Staters are a bunch of libertarians who, over the past decade or so, have been moving to New Hampshire so that they can... Um, Bring libertarianism to New Hampshire by reducing government and all sorts of things, and we have a. a, a, a and there are like
1: six thousand of them. The goal 6, is twenty thousand. Twenty
12: thousand. There's been an effort in the past. They're infiltrating. Yeah. I shouldn't say infiltrating. They're being voted onto. Yeah. Uh, school Committees and zeroing out the budget things that libertarians would want to do, uh, and we have an eleven part series that 's up at nbc ten boston uh, they 're short they 're about eleven to twelve yeah, they're minutes great, actually. featuring all the different players, both those who are against the free state idea and those who are for it. And for the past week and next week and into the following week, Allison and I are hosting a free state watch party on NECN at 730 where we play one of the segments, and then we have the participants from the segment the free come state? on. Yep, and then oh, we great. talk to them sort of like in an Andy Cohen housewives sort of way. Oh, I love uh, that. Digging a little deeper into what they're thinking, and I'm only watching them as they happen. So my reactions are fresh to it so I can ask questions. They're all up at NBC10 Boston and NECN on the uh, special section. But it's been really a very... Uh, exciting project for our Doctor Why aren't you team. doing
1: what you did election night when you had 30 guests on? Why aren't you well, it's kind of
12: like that. We're just doing it over 14 day, oh, 20 it. days, 20 yeah. days, 110 days. They don't did know. a great job it's with a great that series. series. Yeah. When does it start again? It's, uh, we're on every Monday at 7.30. You can watch, I think all the segments are up now at NBC10 Boston, but um, and all the prior watch parties are up on the special We'll be watching. Sections, it's great. So Good you. to see you, Sue Good
1: O'Connell. Good
2: to see you. <laughs> Me, Mavis, Sue O'Connell is the co-publisher of Bay Windows and South End News and contributed to Current on NBC C-L-X and N-E-C-N Thanks a lot Media Maven (laughs) After a quick break We're very excited about this A live music performance by Coro Allegro Boston's LGBT Allied Chorus Ahead of a major show this Sunday At Newbury Street's Church of the Covenant you want to hear this because they are great They are next on Boston Public Radio 89.7 GBH broadcasting Live from the Boston Public Library And streaming at facebook.com Slash GBHnews
1: Boston Public Radio, Jim Browning and Marjorie again live. We are really about to be live at the Boston Public Library, streaming at facebook.com slash GBH News. We're joined by the Boston-based choral group, Coral Allegra. And by the way, we were told this morning there'd be five or six members of the chorus... We have roughly the same population as Fitchburg. Here, right, that's right. The, the group was founded in the 90s back when LGBTQ plus friendly spaces were hard to come by. They have a terrific concert scheduled this Sunday at 3 p.m. celebrating, among other things, 100 years of the gay Boston composer David Pinkham, a trailblazer in the world of classical music. For more information on ticketing, we're going to give you this a lot. Coro, C-O-R-O, in a couple of minutes, we're going to hear a couple of uh, beautiful moments from these wonderful people. But now we are joined by uh, Cora Allegro's artistic director, David Hodgkins, as well as the group's executive director and singer, too. You yes. sing with them, too. Yes. Yes. Yoshi Campbell. Yoshi, David, it's great to have you both. Thanks yes, for joining good good. us. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank
2: you. Well, we, we got to hear you guys during the noontime oh break, gosh. and you were spectacular. So elaborate a little bit, David, on what Jim said. Tell us more about uh, what you guys do. So
4: we have uh, been 30 years plus, just, just plus. Um, when we started off, it was just gay lesbian, and then we added letters as, uh, <laughs> as we needed to, right, as, as, as should be. Um, uh, we have always been uh, on the edge, I think, artistically. We've done things that people would not tackle otherwise. Um, like what? Well, for instance, we did a uh, piece uh, early on by uh, William Grant Still, African-American composer, um, called And They Lynched Him on a Tree was the Boston premiere, it had only been done four times in this country, even though it had been written 80 years ago, uh, for a black chorus and a white chorus, um, and uh, it talks about lynching, and, and, and how, how one can possibly unify after such horrific uh, works, um, and we have done many, many more pieces like that, about war, about uh, loving, about, you know, gay love, um, you, you name it. You
1: know? So, Yoshi, ordinarily we ask the guests, mm-hmm. in between the, the music, to introduce the people performing, we don't have time for that today. Right. Needless to say, <laughs> but give us a sense: who's in the choral group?
14: Oh, sure. Well, choral is is really actually a community chorus um, from the LGBTQ plus and mm-hmm. allied classical community, and um, we have teachers, we have professors, we have. Um, you know, She's scanning the students. faces of people <laughs> right now. <laughs> yes, and 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 quite a range of ages. And so it's really, you know, it's a community group that draws all the way across Greater Boston and even up into New Hampshire and um, New England. That people come. I drive from Gloucester every week to really? sing with David. Wow. Yes. And um, you know, I think we're just really drawn together by that mission, which, which is really about, um, you know. Desperate communities coming together through extraordinary music and also just about building bridges together.
2: David, you just mentioned, or Jim mentioned, I guess, in the introduction um, that you started back in the 90s when uh, LGBTQ plus friendly spaces were hard to come by. Did that mean people didn't want you to be in their churches
4: or they didn't want you to perform at places? What do you mean? Some, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that it was... um uh, I think you know there's millions of choral groups right around, but but not necessarily that many that were specifically LGBTQ+. So yeah. they they would sing, and they had that in common, but they didn't necessarily have an affinity group with okay. them. But wait so are you a straight guy? I am. So
1: how'd that happen? <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean how. You get I guess straight, nature. I don't. Know. <laughs> but I mean, was there any controversy about you being?
4: The leader? Well, yeah, there was. I mean, um, uh, actually, in the press, I, I got. Um, I, I got chastised for being a uh, uh, white male, a uh, straight white male. Um, uh, Bay Windows actually made some comments about the So Su Our media mavens. So They came around. They came around. <laughs> <together. laughs> yeah, <yeah, yeah>. okay. <laughs> and in fact that Bay Windows actually had a number of, uh, Ed Tapper from Bay Windows gave us many, many fabulous reviews. How hard was uh, that for you um, and the group? You know, it's interesting. Well, I think it was probably harder for the group than it was for me. Um, one of my conducting mentors said, you know, you shouldn't conduct this group because it's going to pigeonhole you. Um, and in fact, what it did was liberate me. That's great. Um, that's because great. I could do anything and, you know, anything I wanted. Um, and this group was always up for a challenge uh, and willing to put themselves out there in a way that a lot of groups aren't. They're, they're afraid to, you know. So,
1: so what's the first selection we're going to hear here, Yoshi?
4: So,
14: we're going to hear a little bit from a, a piece that's really typical of what, you know, David was talking about pushing the edge and doing pieces that matter. So Coro has done, like, 28 world premieres, and we're really proud that, like, 18 of them are commissioned works by underrepresented groups or by um, composers that are telling stories that have been silenced. And this piece that we're doing a little of today is by Sean Crouch, who is here with us, and it's from a wonderful piece called Paradise. And what he does is he draws on um, poetry by U.S. veteran... Uh, Brian Turner who wrote the book Here Bullet a really Mm -hmm. fabulous book and he put it together with poems from the 14th century um, Persian poet Hafez and these poems I believe have been selected by um, Iranian-American um, poet, Shola Wolpe. And so it's really an extraordinary piece mm. that, yeah.
1: Is the first performance, isn't it, did I read incorrectly, it's not a combination of two separate compositions?
14: It's two movements from Paradise. Oh, great. Okay. And it's actually an interesting story because, um, you know, I was talking to Sean and like sometimes, um, you know, a composer who does a big work, a big contemporary work will either have it performed once and then it kind of goes in the circular mm. file, right? It's hard to get it have life afterwards and he has there's a movement in this that that has just gone viral and people love it you're going to hear that movement because it's very moving but it's one thing i'm really proud of my colleague here is that i feel that david takes pieces and gives them that second third fourth performance that gives them life and brings them into the core repertoire
1: so you're both going to have to stand up yeah you're gonna quietly put your headphones. You have to be over there conducting this. Yeah, thing. I gotta you, go
4: to work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and you're <going> to <laughs> gonna sing.
1: Put them quietly on the table because they're very sensitive if you don't mind. And then we're gonna hear this beautiful group do this incredible. And we're gonna to talk to Sean for a second, also, who's the composer here after the, this is what a crew. This is how many are there here? Like twenty-five people. And on a typical you can yell this out, on a... like Sunday, how many people are gonna be performing? Is anybody fifty five or something, you said? That's unbelievable. Well, David, here's your chance. Take it away. Well, the composer is about to go to our colleague, Aiden, who was actually singing. I was not aware he was going to be part of the singing thing there. Sean Crouch. How'd that feel? Wait, I don't think your mic is on. Is it on now? It's on now. How'd that feel there, Sean? That mic's still not on. You're going to say it a couple (laughs) more times. Uh, It is on? Oh, it's on the radio, even though we can't hear it here. You said it felt great. You gotta, he actually has to come to a headset. Sean, I'm sorry about this. We screwed up a little bit. Can uh, David, before you take the headset, let Sean put it on for a second and tell us a little bit about the piece. Now I'm going to ask him for the fourth time. That's right. So, Sean, you were singing as part of that. How did that feel there, it Sean? It great. Oh, yes, there he is.
13: <laughs> Uh, This is the first time I've actually been able to sing in the choir and be a part of this, so um, it's a whole different perspective. Tell us about the piece a little bit. Well, the piece was originally written uh, for Chanticleer back in 2006, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a professional group out in uh, San Francisco, and they commissioned a piece um, from a number of composers who were around 30 at the time, and for my piece, I really wanted to do something that uh, told the story of our vets that were coming back from Mm -hmm. the Iraq War, and it was a story that was not being told by the, the commercial media. Uh, so I wanted to tell what they were seeing, what my brother was seeing, who was a two-time veteran of oh, really? uh, the Iraq War. And then with Brian Turner, who is a, uh, a war poet that I found shortly after, um, uh, he really told that story in the way that I remember my brother saying. How would your brother feel about this? He, well, when the first invasion, he was like everyone else. We're going to change the world. It's like World War II. Uh, in the second invasion, when he went back, he had a very different... Uh, I mean, how did he feel about your work? Oh, a um, he, well, the, f- the few times that he had heard it, he was really moved by it. It was really quite nice.
1: Okay, Sean Crouch, congratulations. This is beautiful. Oh, you may now gorgeous. Yeah. make way for your colleagues here. That was absolutely beautiful, and Congratulations. We're rejoined by Yoshi Campbell and David uh, Hodgkins after that. And there'll be another performance in a couple of minutes.
2: Yeah, um, you're doing
14: sort of anniversaries here. So, So tell us what's going on, Yoshi. Oh, well, so this concert features three anniversaries. One is what Jim mentioned, which is it's the centennial of... Daniel Pinkham. And I'll let David talk more about Daniel Pinkham and who he is and why he's important because he knew him. Okay. But we're also honoring, let's see, Von Williams' 150th. And most importantly for us, we're also talking about 30 years with artistic director David Hodgkins making music with pride. Okay. Let's hear about uh, Daniel Pinkham then. David, tell us.
4: So Daniel Pinkham we actually grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Oh. Um, and he was the grandson, I think, or son, grandson of uh, Lydia Pinkham, who had Lydia Pinkham Tonic, which was a very mm-hmm. famous thing oh, yes. in, back in the turn yes. of the century, right? Yes. Okay. Um And then he went to Harvard and to p- other places. Um, terrific composer, uh, was one of the forefront, uh, was on the forefront of the early music uh, movement in the 50s and 60s especially. Um, he taught at NEC for many years. He was also the music director at King's Chapel, downtown Boston. Um, and uh, he was just he was just one of those people, an out gay man in a time when that was not so easy to do. Um, uh, and also, as, as well as just being a fabulous human being, he also was just a great composer and a friend. I mean, he, he, uh, we commissioned a work from him that we're going to be doing in May um, uh, that, we, that we have done before. Uh, but he, you know, he sat down with me and said, so let's talk about this composition. So we talked about it for about 10 minutes. And then we had a two-and-a-half-hour lunch. We're just talking, you know. And he was just that kind of person. And his favorite uh, saying was, um, I've risen into the elevator now. That once you've gone up, you have to sell in the elevator back down. And he always did that. So he was always helping. He would find students at NEC that were, that were gay but were uncomfortable or poor or whatever it happened to be, and he would help them out. He would, uh, John Grimes, who was a wonderful timpanist that uh, passed away a few years ago but was the president of the Boston Musicians Union, He bought uh, Dan bought John his first set of timpani because oh, wow. John couldn't afford it, you know, and so that's just the kind of person he was.
1: Is Christmas Cantata his, by the way, because I was listening to some music this morning, it is unbelievable.
4: Yes, it's, a, it's his, um, his, one of his early music, uh, oh, early, my, uh, early pieces, and um, he always says it was very popular in the in the, 70s, in the 60s and 70s, especially in the 70s, I would say, um, and... Uh, he always said that it paid his mortgage. <laughs> the, the, the commission from that always paid his it's mortgage.
1: done by so. the Stanford Choir, by the way, speaking to Stanford yeah, graduate, yeah, Marjorie yeah. Egan over there. Oh. Yeah. Uh,
2: we're going to hear that, right? Yeah. So we're going to hear the last movie. Yes, we're going to hear yes. that. Yeah. And, and oh, I didn't know that. We are. Yeah. That's, oh, what, that's what we Yikes. Oops. Yes, by Daniel. And... and, and what do you do? Do you do? do you teach music <laughs> lessons or how do you? I'm always. What do curious. you do, you Well, because yeah. musicians. <laughs> because musicians. My mother was a musician. It's very hard to. went In the yeah. conservatory, it's very hard to earn a living as a musician, right? right? No matter how talented you are, especially if you're a classical musician. So I always wonder about how people work this into their <laughs> lives. I mean, you have to practice. Yeah. So all these people have other jobs and things they have to do and they have to spend a lot of time practicing. So what do you do? So what do I do? Well,
14: I am actually the executive director of Coral Allegro. Yeah. And then I am also the um, on the steering committee of the Network of Arts Administrators of Color. And I am a producer and a writer. So that's, that's so you got, what... You got.
2: you got hands in everything then, yeah. right? Yeah? yeah. Are you
14: surviving in all those things, I hope? Yep, surviving okay. and, and having a wonderful time. And the, you know, I mean, I think You know, David was talking about Pinkham, and one of the things I just want to mention is just the Pinkham Award. Oh, yes. So... Um, this is something that we're doing to honor that story of sending the elevator back down, right? But um, we, in 2008, um, David and Coral Allegro on the board um, created an award called the Daniel Pinkham Award. And it's given annually in honor of contributions to classical music and then also to the LGBTQ plus community. And it's given us a chance to honor people like that, like... Um, uh, Gene Robinson, Gene Robinson yeah. was one of the first yeah. um, awardees who was, like, the first um, out gay um, bishop it's in the Episcopal Episcopal's Church. Right. And, yes. yeah. and we, I remember uh, when we gave the award and just watching the choir um, come around him because he was telling us stories about things like he had to have police presence coming by his house, he and his husband's wow. house during that because it was so controversial. Yeah. And just hearing, like, we're, we're singing to him, but then we all are gathering around and... He was, you know, just touching people and, like, comforting them. And he made – I'll never forget what he said. He he talked about going to Memphis and seeing this statue outside the, um, you know, the Lorraine Hotel and, like, of, like, people on – going on – standing on the shoulders of those who came before. And, um, you know, I think one of the reasons I'm really proud of David is I feel like – that he has gotten that piece of our mission to amplify yeah. underrepresented voices.
1: What does Coro Allegro mean, by the way? Oh, it's sort of
14: funny. <laughs> you know, I, uh, a funny story is I was walking in the uh, Veterans for uh, Peace St. Patty's Parade. Mm-hmm. Oh, you remember yeah. how they had Force that alternative yeah, parade? Too. Yeah, they were great. It was more affirming. Mm-hmm. And we, I was coming around carrying the choral banner with um, uh, uh, a baritone in the choir. And we, we come around and it says Coro Allegro, you know. And this guy comes running towards us and stumbling up. And we're like, what's going on? And he looks at us and he goes, what the is a coro allegro? (laughs) (laughs) Um, What coro allegro is, is coro means chorus. And allegro is um, a music marking, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, people quick. think of it as meaning quick. Mm-hmm. It actually means, as David said, lively. It means mm. happy and it means gay. Yeah. Yeah. So, Coro so Allegro what means, means that's right. gay, gay chorus. chorus. And, and that's by the what way, we are.
1: if people want to find out about Sunday's event yeah. and the thing in May, it's coroallegro.org.
14: Yes, coroallegro.org. Yes.
1: Fine. What are we going to hear?
14: So, what you're going to hear in this concert is fanfares. You're going to hear brass. You're going to hear organ, and you're going to hear double choir works, beautiful works. Like So there'll be um, that, and then there'll be these two astonishing a cappella works, one by Vaughn Williams, who's 150th it is, and then this amazing contemporary um, a cappella piece by Sean Crouch, and then we'll go back to Pinkham.
1: Fabulous. And
14: you've got to come in May, because okay. the piece that David was talking about was call, is called The White Raven. And it's it's just it's so incredible. It's like a celebration of the exceptional in creation. It's like all the animals, everything. And it's, you know, he was setting Christopher Smart, who I think is a neurodivergent English poet from the 18th century that <laughs> Benjamin Britten also set. Uh-huh. Um, it, but it, it, you'll hear all the animals, the fishes, the yeah. whales.
1: Great. All so you're about to perform again. Okay. Thank you for being it's here. Thank you for having us. All of your wonderful colleagues. It's beautiful. We're dying to hear this.
14: Now
2: this is the the Gloria in Excelsis in Chels. How do you say that? Ex- how do you say it, Chelsea? Deo. Okay, thank you very much. From Christmas Cantata, and this is by the gentleman we've been talking about, David, uh, Daniel. Daniel. King, um, King.
1: I said David before, yes. by mistake.
2: Gloria in Chelsea. I won't try to say it again.
1: Here they are. David, take it away.
6: Gloria in excelsis Deo, et in terra Il posto Voluntatis. è voluto pazzi io non battevo ho detto sentite non ti non ti puoi protestare sentite tu i nostri militizia lare la società Sister, in a in truiter, in in gloria ex- And for their Gloria, in excelsis Deo, et She it's a must have She it's a Gloria in excelsis Deo
2: Boston's Coro Allegro for more information on Sunday's concert, which should be spectacular, gonna be at the Church of the Covenant on Newbury Street. You get tickets by visiting coroallegro.org. I'm gonna spell that for you. C O R O Allegro A-L-L-E-G-R-O.org. All one word, Coro Allegro. Thank you very much. Great. That was a huge treat to have you here. Very much appreciate your coming in. Okay. I always find myself saying this at the end of the show because I'm going from... It's not the end of the show. Well, we have a little bit more. And we do. We do. But I'm going from something that was very sublime and very spectacular to Jim's insistence on talking yet again...
1: Yet again. ...for about
2: the 50th time... 50th time. ...about daylight saving grievances or your happiness about daylight saving. That's right. Because it's coming Sunday. We're, going, we're jumping ahead yes, this we weekend are. and over my protests... We're talking about it again. Eight seven seven three zero one eight nine seven zero. 301 8970 Where are you on this uh, semi-annual chestnut topic? 877-301-8970. You're listening to Boston Public Radio live from the Boston Public Library we are broadcasting, streaming I should say, at facebook.com slash GBH
1: Welcome back to Boston Public Radio. Jim Browdy and Marjorie live at the Boston Public Library. Streaming at Facebook.com slash GBH News. Our next trip to the library will be Tuesday. Mayor Wu will make that trip on Tuesday, too, for Ask the Mayor. This Sunday, as you all know, we're turning our clocks ahead, losing an hour of sleep. That's the bad news. The good news is in favor of more sunlight in our evenings. It's a debate Marjorie salivates over every six months. Excuse me, I'm speaking. (laughs) She just can't wait to talk about this. Is it time to do away with the clock switching Mm -hmm. forever and just stay forever on daylight saving? No S on the end of saving. Daylight saving time. 877 301-8970. 301-8970. Ed Markey has been one of the champions. By the way, this is bipartisan. Rubio from Florida, the Republicans, the co-sponsor, the Sunshine Whatever Act. So it's a bipartisan thing. Bipartisan. It's good for the environment, it's for obviously. The environment, it's good for the economy because yep. you shop more. It's good for your health. It is bipartisan. And a state can vote now, as 20 have, Marjorie, to say that as soon as the federal government says it's okay to do this, we're going to switch to daylight saving time. Governor Baker, I wrote a piece for the Globe magazine last year, was Mm -hmm. not crazy about this. Do you know who in that article said she supported it? Who? The soon-to-be-elected Attorney General, now Governor Healy. So if our legislature does the right thing, we will be ready when Congress does the right thing. Last year, the Senate voted for it. The House didn't take it up. We want to know where you are. Are you in favor of the current insane system? Or are you in favor of year-round daylight saving time? Some people think we should stay with standard time year-round. That's ridiculous. Where? You, what's your position other than the fact... That you're angry at me for bringing you know, it up. You know,
2: you just wore me down, Jim. I don't really care what we do. <laughs> so I, I just don't want to stop talking about this. Every so you six support months. it, is what you're saying. Well, the only problem is I've said a million times, What's that? and why not say it one more time? Sure. Is go ahead. that if we do this, what time is the sun going to come up in? in it's February? gonna be dark in the morning. It's gonna be very dark. It going to come up at like. The sun won't come up until. I don't know what, what time. it be dark. Seven thirty. Quarter of eight. What's your point? And you had this ridiculous notion that we should solve this problem of having yeah. little kids trying to walk to school. Yeah, I had a problem. Uh, that solution. you should say that the state should go out and pay for little teeny tiny miners hats with little lights on them. little lights on them so they could find their way down the sidewalk to get to school actually I
1: mean, you want a serious mm-hmm. response to that mm-hmm. when i wrote that piece for the globe last yep. year which i'm sure you read every word every of, word i spoke to the guy who is head of the mass association of school committees uh glenn Kucher. i asked him how much in the t- how often in the 21 years you've been there have you heard complaints from school committee members about the early darkness because they're zero, not in
2: daylight and saving and ex- time ex- well it for eight
1: months and second, yeah, the sun comes done. up about six thirty. Secondly, morning. you know why he so said it, 5:30 You know why morning. he said it'd be really good because it would help create momentum for the more important thing that mm-hmm. he supports which is starting school at a later hour. That's the solution to the darkness in the morning. We want to know where you are on this. 877-301-897. Let me just tell you, I know Marjorie for 25 mm-hmm. years. The only reason she's against this is because I'm for it. And that's number one. And number two... I'm just tired of talking about it, you know it, what Jim. I'm doing? I've been relentless about this. I
2: mean, you beat this. these things into the ground. Exactly. Beg for you know how mercy. you win
1: when the other side gives up. Okay. And well, you're about I've, to give I've up. I've given up.
2: I've given up. Whatever you want to
0: do, Jim, clock
2: just forward, clock Just do it and back. shut up, right? Exactly. 877-
1: Seven seven three zero one eighty nine seventy. Maggie and Waylon, you're first. Hey, Maggie. Hey, Jim, it's
0: Pickleball Maggie. Oh,
1: Pickleball, Hi, pickleball Maggie. Maggie, how Maggie. are you? Oh, Maggie. You can play Pickleball till later about, at night.
0: Maggie,
2: what about the people in Wellesley that are very upset about the thwanging, 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 oh. the noise, of thwack. pickleball? Thwack, whatever it is, pickleball makes their lives. Their, their, Scroom, you know, right, Maggie? Their lives. Right, people
0: always have something to complain about.
1: Exactly. Okay. so what's your position on this um,
0: at any rate i 'm conflicted because I like it light when I get home from work in the afternoon evening, but i 'm also a morning person, so i don 't like it dark in the morning um, but i also I was listening this morning, and I know um, Senator Markey's bill is uh, to keep daylight saving time yep but there was some information that i haven 't followed up on on how There's some scientists, I guess, who feel that regular time is better. That We should go to one time, but that regular time is better than, say, Well, let me just tell
1: you, there is a word for those scientists who want standard time year-round. You know what the the word is? Uh Uh-oh. Idiots. That's what they are. Daylight saving (laughs) time. You have Marco Rubio, you have Ed Markey, and you have a unanimous United States Senate. That supports daylight saving time year round. That's good enough for me. And you can did play you, pickleball till midnight. Did Maggie, you see thanks the for your a note from
2: our staff on the screen? No. There was I a whole not. segment yesterday, right here on National Public Radio, what do saying they know? that the metal, medical community says daylight saving, as Maggie was alluding to, mm-hmm. can be harmful, good for the economy, not on one's body. Our body clocks tell us to get up with the sun, and we would be chroni- chronically thrown out of sync with the sun, mm-hmm. which can lead to a variety of health problems. Sleep experts say.
1: You know who's married to one of the most prominent uh, physicians in the United States of America? Who? Senator Ed Markey. Senator Ed Markey. Enough said. 877 301 80970 Maggie, thank you for your call. We uh, appreciate this. I want to repeat. The Senate voted unanimously to make this move. It's only because Nancy Pelosi, whom we both respect didn't take the matter up, and it didn't make it to Joe Biden's desk. By the way, his home state of Delaware is one of the 20 states that has adopted daylight saving time, should the federal government What was
2: Pelosi's problem with this?
1: I assume she had other things to do.
2: John Gloucester, what do you think, John?
15: Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Um, First-time caller, uh, long-time listener. Thank you for both, Um, Yeah, and uh, today I uh, waited to waited and waited for this segment because yep. I knew you were going to talk about it today. <laughs> yeah. It
2: never so, ends, John. Uh, never ends. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead.
15: Well, I, I, I'm feeling like I'm more and more in the minority. I disagree with you, Jim. Oh, and uh, you know, I think there are, um, you know, reasonable ways to argue about this, but some of the arguments are really ridiculous. Like what? One of them being yours. <laughs> uh, the, there you if go, you, John. You feel the way you come across is uh, the whole world should change, as so you should get what you want. Well, that's <laughs> and, that is a fair John,
2: summary. Uh,
1: that is an you accurate. You captured summary.
2: the whole essence <laughs> of John, Boston Public are Radio. Are you aware that we already have eight months of daylight? Hello. Yeah.
1: You have eight, we already have eight months yeah. of daylight saving time, thanks to Ed Markey sponsoring legislation that extended it from six months a bunch of years ago. So that is the trend. That is the trend that we're going in.
15: Yeah, I know. I'm afraid that's true.
1: Yeah, I'm afraid that's true. What's your problem but, you know, with this, Sean? You know, What's the problem with it?
15: Um, the the previous caller mentioned my major concern. What is um, it? Getting up uh, in the dark yeah. or it's having kids go off to school in the dark. We used to live in Cleveland, which is on the western side. That's right. Terrible. Of the eastern time zone, and it was very bad, you know, very hard. And it was the most depressing day of the whole year. The change to daylight savings time, because you were working towards uh, sunrise was earlier and earlier, yep. and then, slam, you're, ch- you're pushed back a whole Yeah,
1: but uh, John, 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 you're is only so talking this It's true. He's thought so it depressing. through. I know he's thought it through. But, John, you've only thought about half the equation. If you read my excellent piece in the Globe magazine a year yeah. ago, the opening line well, the says, I left work at GBH <laughs> at 1 Guest Street at 410 in the afternoon. And you know what it was when I walked out of the building, John? Pitch dark. black. So that's okay. I mean, yeah. that's the problem with your solution. John, we loved your first call, though. Make another one soon. Thank you, know, you so we much have, for calling. Um,
2: uh, some people agree with you here. Eileen from Somerville, she agrees with you. But other Thank people you, are Eileen. saying they just want to pick a time. Amber from Worcester says, pick a time and stick that's with this. it. That's this. I hate, I hate this changing. My dog hates it. The whole thing is stupid. Well, can I
1: tell you one thing? The, the argument for a standard thing, 12 months, whether it's the other standard time, which I guess what John wants or what I want, which is daylight saving time, is very strong because you've read the research. All the research says it's bad for your heart. It's bad for... There are more auto accidents because your body's rhythm or some such thing doesn't move with the hour shift, whether it's ahead or back. And so staying with one system is far better for both our economic and our physical health. Okay. What do you think of that? What do well, you mean, okay? Well, you know,
2: whatever, Jim. Like okay, I said, fine. I've thrown the towel on this. I've, I've heard every Thank argument you. now about 150 times. By Ted- the way,
1: no one complains more than you when you leave work and it's dark. You text me and you say how upset you are that it's dark.
2: What are you talking about? Oh, that are wasn't you. Jan you. Ellis? that actually wasn't it works you. For President Trump it. making up entire stories? Ted Wooster, what's Trump.
1: up? Ted.
3: All right, Yes. I'm sorry. I have to disagree with Jim. Yeah. If you go to daylight savings time year round, S- yeah. um, you're not going to have sunrise in the dead of winter until 8:30 in the morning.
1: So sleep so. a little later, Ted.
3: Well, you know, if you want to change the entire clock around so yeah. everything happens a little later, yeah. fine. But then you're back where you started.
1: Yeah. So I what mean, would you if, prefer? If, if, if what, you what's your? I'm sorry. Go ahead.
3: So my point would be, if if you if you don't want to go through the changes, and you know, I mean, yeah, it's a little bit disruptive to change by one hour twice a year. It's mm-hmm. not uh, any worse than, you know, I mean, people people survive jet lag when they travel. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't see that as an incredibly compelling argument. But the the, um, the the if if you know if you want to have one time, go with the standard solar time. The reason we switched to daylight time. When we have 15 hours of light is to make more use of it in the evening when people find it more useful. Hey, Ted, don't
1: go away, because you just poo-pooed the changing of the clocks. Let me read to you, not from what I wrote, from the Globe editorial today, actually. The ritual of changing clocks twice each year isn't just disruptive and annoying, but costly and dangerous. It causes workplace injuries to rise and workplace productivity to drop. The economic toll from the biannual disruption of workers' sleep schedules is estimated to be upward of $433 million each year. So while it pains me to say that either alternative around the year would be an improvement because I don't want the other alternative, it's the hour ahead and hour back that is most damaging Ted. Check out the Globe editorial. It's really good this morning. Ted, thank you much for your call. You know, I think you
2: should plan ahead, Jim. What? When, the, I am day, planning when ahead. the day happens, you depart this mortal coil, you should have on your headstone. Jim Browdy, <laughs> daylight
1: saving that's nice. crusader.
2: Listen to people who've written and they're sick of this too. You're only going to read
1: the ones who are against me, That's obviously. right.
2: Terry from Westport. Regarding daylight saving time issue, I totally agree with Marjorie. Can we stop beating the subject to the ground mm. till it begs for mercy? Here's Maggie from Providence. By the way,
1: we'll be blocking Terry here, here to, <laughs> uh, in the future.
2: When I was driving to work this morning, I was thinking, God, I do hope I have to Jim listen? wants to skip over the daylight saving discussion. <laughs> I'm with Marjorie. That would be me. Yeah, do you, what you want, horrible. but I do vote for permanent saving, oh. daylight saving. She's with you, Jim. She wants to me. stop talking about it. Okay, fine. Yeah. Oh, this is from Paul. Jim has taken you know, the show's on... show's almost over when you
1: reading all these Jim texts.
2: has taken on daylight saving time like... The late, great Jerry Williams took on seatbelts. Yeah. He never stopped talking about seatbelts. He was a great talk show host at RKO. Do you
1: know how you win uh, uh, battles in this world, Marjorie? You're mm-hmm. relentless. You know what? What, what happened with seatbelts? What happened? Jerry Williams lost. He lost. lost. He lost. Right.
2: He lost. <laughs> <laughs> we got our seatbelts. Let's go point. to Chad in Philadelphia. On oh, my hometown. He Hi. must be with
1: me. Hi, Chad. What's up?
15: Hey, Jim, Marjorie. Love your show. Thank I am you. 100% on the, on the side of permanent daylight savings time. Oh, good. There you go. For you me, can explain. Take your time, Well, Chad. for me... <laughs> all, right, all right, I'll take my time. Yeah. Um, I'm the father of a four-year-old, and for exactly. me, um, changing the time isn't just two days. It is a weeks long process of getting him readjusted to the schedule. That's a great of point.
11: New bedtime, new, point.
15: Yep. new wake-up time.
1: Plus, I hate how early it gets dark in the wintertime. So there you go. There. So, uh, Chad, let me ask you, you're the smartest caller we've had today, obviously. <laughs> how, how do you react to somebody who is... Has a, an opposing view solely because she's aggravated that I talk about it twice a year. How does it, That's how do you react to that? That's a good enough reason that? for me. How do you react to that, Chad? I think the best. Best way is just to get on board, and, uh, and then you want to talk about it so much. That's Chad, right. You're a beautiful person. That's right. Thank I you tell for the you call. what. If they do pass That's this legislation, excellent.
2: I'll be the happiest person in the world. Never talk about it. Never have to talk about it. Why don't it you again. read
1: some more critical texts? Go George ahead. George
2: Santos wants Jim to know that he invented <laughs> the daylight, daylight saving, saving time. time. There's you. no opportunity to be missed for pulling in George Santos. Let's. I go. Oh, are we out of time? We have time we have. for one more. One quick more one. quick
8: one. Jane from Groton, Thank you for hey, calling. Jane. Hi, I'm with you 100%, Jim. Jane. I know Thank you, Jane. short for time. And one thing that nobody even mentions, within a time zone, there's a difference when you're, whether you're on the eastern or the western side of the time zone. So mm-hmm. here in Massachusetts, we're on the eastern. We are. It gets dark so early
1: in the winter. Exactly right. It's
8: crazy. I have friends in, you know, western side of the time zone, and it's still light about an hour and 15 minutes later for them. So, it's, you know, if everyone can adjust to the new brighter day, Longer in the winter, and I think we Jane, just
1: keep it. at you are Groton's daylight. best. Let me just say that was I, I, fabulous. Thank I you. I
8: to pull over to make this call. Beautiful, as passionately as you do, Jim.
1: I thanks. love you for it, Jane. Well, thanks for the call.
2: Everybody's going to lose an hour of sleep on Saturday night into Sunday morning. We all thank Jim. Lose an hour but if of I sleep. get what
1: I want, it'll be the last time, Marjorie. Okay, Jim. We're done. <clears throat> Good luck to you. We're going to talk about this Monday and Tuesday okay. too.
2: Okay. We want to mention something though before we I leave. Know we it's do. coming up next week, March 16th to 18th, uh, is a composer Julia Wolfe's BSO co-commissioned show called Her Story. It's all
1: centered on this idea of paying tribute to centuries of ongoing struggle for equal rights, representation, and access to democracy for women in America.
2: Featuring the Lorelei Ensemble. Oh, they've we had been on them the show. on. They they're are great. absolutely fantastic. We had them for Live Music Friday around this time last year. You can find that performance on our YouTube channel, and they're great. The Lorelei Ensemble.
1: They are fabulous. And actually, one of their numbers works across the hall, I should say, at the uh, Classical Music Station. So, her story is the latest in a series of compositions by the woman that Marjorie mentioned, the great Julia Wolf. You can get tickets and find out more information at Lorelei, L O R E L E I Ensemble. Com.
2: I want to thank everybody that came down to the library Thank you today. all for coming. We I appreciate it. I want to thank to all the people that had to listen to Jim's 19,000 discussion of Daylight. By the way, I'll stay after the you show if need, anybody wants to talk about it. You need new material. That's what you need. You need new material. Okay.
1: Did I get, did I get unanimous vote in the Senate nope. last year? No. Uh, <laughs> You notice it came (laughs) two days after my Globe magazine piece? That's right. I think that's a coincidence. I think not. Marco Rubio called up
2: and says, if Jim Friday wants it, then I'm I'm with him all the way. (laughs) Okay. Monday, we're going to have a politics panel. Jesse Vermeule and uh, Jennifer Nassour going over the political stories of the day. Globe columnist Renee Graham. She is a great columnist in the Boston Globe. She's going to be with us. I don't think we've ever had her on before. She's really good. And the director of the new Boston Strangler movie, Matt Ruskin. Oh, great. Yeah. We'll also hear from the Revs, Irene Monroe and Emmett G. Price III and do an Oscars debrief with our film critic, Odie Henderson. Oh, from the globe. Oh, great. Absolutely. I didn't know
1: that was happening. Great. Yes, he's
2: been on a couple of times, so great. really good. Our crew, Zoe Matthews, Aidan Conley, Nicole Garcia, Hannah Loss. Our engineer is John the Claw Parker. Our executive producer is Jamie Bologna. We want to thank the BPL team. That's grouped down here at the library that mm-hmm. helps us out. Evelyn Brito, Sai Patel, and Brad Lewis. Thank you very much to all you guys. Jim... Good luck on the day of I One saving. more thing
1: to say. People what? ask me what the website is. You go to Jim Is Right on Daylightsaving.com. <laughs> Let me repeat that. Jim is right on daylightsaving.com okay. or dot org or dot anything. Okay. And sign up for some.
2: Okay, you might go to org. You might try that as well. I'm Marjorie Egan.
1: <laughs> I I I am uh, Jim Browley. Have a wonderful weekend. Too we'll thanks see you Thanks for tuning Monday. in. Hope
2: you can tune bye. in on Monday. Bye-bye. Bye bye.